0: Hello there, and welcome to MA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny G. Today, we're talking about UFC Fight Night, Andrade vs. Blanchfield, aka UFC Vegas 69, coming up on February 18th with a 4 p.m. Eastern start time, that's this weekend, being held in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the one and only Apex Arena. Only 11 bouts in the card, not a very big card. Some names you may recognize, of course, main event Jessica Andrade vs. Aaron Blanchfield, with Andrade being about a one-week replacement for Tyler Santos. Other fights in the cards, some names you might recognize. Zach Puaga, who was playing, was playing, <laughs> fighting on the Ultimate Fighter last season. Didn't go his way, but now fighting back down at light heavyweight against Jordan Wright. That'll be the co-main event. The only female fight in the card is going to be Lena Landsberg, turning 41 years old here soon, against Mara bueno Silva. And the rest of the card filled with some names you may or may not recognize. Of course, Jim Miller is a household name. He's a favorite. He will be fighting against Alexander Hernandez. We'll go through each fight, one fight at a time, give you a full breakdown, some background on the fighters, talk stats, numbers, analysis. Last week, we were pretty hot last week. We got every single fight right, except for first fight in the card, the Goff, and then the William no, the William Knight fight. I keep saying William Knight. The Crute fight, we had his opponent pick to win, but that fight went to a draw. So we finished 10-1-1 one one last week. Uh, not bad at all, or was 12-1-1? One one? How many fights were in the card? Point is, we missed only two, one and a half fights, right? We were pretty hot. Hopefully we carry over some of that momentum into this week. We'll give you a breakdown for each fight. We'll take our time. We give you the pick at the beginning of each breakdown of each fight. So we get it out of the way. If you need to fast forward the video, you get the timestamps down below. trying to hook you up. Do us a favor. Go ahead and click the link down below for our Substack newsletter and subscribe to our newsletter. And here's why. You get the full breakdown in written format sent to you via email once a week. All UFC events, Bellator events, PFL Invicta. You also get a full tip sheet how we're betting, what we're betting, and why. We have some specials in there which you'll love. Last week we had a special, a $5 special to win $2,000, and it hit. How about that? It was like a 10 11 leg parlay. Craziness, right? Will that happen every single week? No, but it happens from time to time. Subscribe to our newsletter. It's totally free. We don't spam you, no BS, no Patreon, no paywalls, nothing to pay for. It's totally free, but you help us by subscribing to our newsletter. It's run by Substack, nice little platform. You get the app on your phone too if you want, all nice and written out, stats for you, the whole nine. In our Substack newsletter, we also put links to the breakdown videos like this. There's a link also to our Google Drive where you can go and download and access all of our raw notes on our fighter breakdowns. That's free. That link's also down below. You can go on Google Drive, see our notes for our breakdowns and each each matchup, and then actually download those documents in Word format, do what you want to do with them. Compare them to your notes, save them for yourself look at the look at the notes on fight day whatever to do with them they're yours to access on google drive so you got the google drive oh one more thing our podcast everything you hear right here on our channel for youtube it's available via podcast well not everything just about everything almost all of our live shows our breakdowns we put that up on a podcast you can find our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast just search mma fight club look for our black and yellow logo with the fist you'll see it there Like, join, add it to your library, and rate us. Give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate that. And one more thing. This weekend, Friday night, we've got the PFL Challenger Series coming up. We'll do a pre-fight show starting from 8.30 to 9 o'clock. The live watch party will start at 9 o'clock. We usually have at least one or two fighters stopping by. Last week, we had smiling, Smiling Sam Alvey come through and Damon Jackson, both well former UFC fighter for Smiling Sam Alvey, but current UFC fighter Damon Jackson. They both came through. The week before, we had a PFL fighter with us, so we tend to have some fighters coming through on Friday night with us. It's a nice little good time, PFL pre-fight show and watch party. And then Sunday night, very late night Sunday night, midnight on Sunday night, which is technically Monday morning, we have our Midnight MMA show, which runs every Sunday night from 12 a.m. midnight to about two o'clock in the morning. And that show's a blast in itself. So check us out whenever you can. Like our Twitter, like our Instagram, follow us. That's how you support us. You don't have to give us your money. We just want your time your clicks, your subscribes, your likes, that's how you help us out. All right. Too much talking. Let's get now into this breakdown. We'll start with the first fight, the premium card, work our way all the way up to the main card. All right. We've got Juan Camilo Ronderos versus Clayton Carpenter, which should open up the prelim card, but you know what? Between now and then things could change. So if it changes, my apologies. It's a flyweight bout, 125 pounds. We will give you the pick right now to get out the way for those who need to move forward in the video. We like Carpenter to to win the fight in round one by submission. That's currently priced at plus 1,000. It could change. We're earlier in the week here. Clay Carpenter is the favorite at minus 280, and you can get Juan Camillo on the other side at plus 235. Let's jump into the basics of these two fighters here, information you probably already know. Mr. Ronderos is 4-1 overall. That means he's four and one in his last five fights. He's a dog here out of Colombia, now based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, 28 years old, five foot four in height with a 64 and a half inch reach, training out of Extreme Couture. Ask him for Mr. Clayton Carpenter, who goes by Concrete. Clayton Concrete Carpenter, three C's. Lucky not, not K. If his first name was Clayton with a K, and last name was Kendrick with a K. And then you get it, all right. Clayton Concrete Carpenter, six and zero overall, five and zero in his last five fights. Clearly undefeated. He's the favorite here. Out of Arizona, 26 years old, five foot six in height, with a 66 inch reach and reach out of MMA Lab. Height reach wise, two inches on both sides, or about an inch and a half there for reach. For Clayton, I don't think it's a big factor, but he will be the slightly bigger fighter. What does topology say about this? What are the votes saying? Oh, well, by no surprise, 94% of the votes coming in from Mr. Carpenter. Yeah, we like Carpenter too. If you're going to bet on him, I suggest two things. One, do it early. This line's going to move around. And number two, try to with you know restrain yourself because we're still not fully aware of what Carpenter's capable of, negative or positive. And Camilo does come in here with a bit of question marks, things we just don't know. So with that said, I do think Carpenter wins. Just don't overdo it, man. Don't look what happened last weekend. People put Turkogov in parlays at minus 500, minus 550, and it just had warning signs written all over it. This is in that same boat, not to mention it's the first fight in the card. Do you want to go diving on the first fight in the card? No. So bet with ease it's the first fight for a reason. Looking at it right up here. So we like Carpenter to win the fight by round one submission. That's plus 1,000. Carpenter performed really well on Contender Series last year. He didn't win the fight by a uh, finish, but he won the fight by decision and it was a good opponent. And Dana was like, yeah, we'll still give you a contract. He's a good wrestler with an evolving submission attack. He's displayed good striking power with several KO finishes. I think even by head kick is like his uh choice of kicking people or knocking them out by head kick. He'll have roughly a two-inch reach and height advantage. Again, not a big deal here. And though Carpenter was unable to secure a finish in his Dana White Contenders' fight, he showed a lot of good skills—ground skills and on the feet. Got tagged a few times, had a swollen eye, but again, dealt with that well. You know, dealt with that as well. He has four finishes in his first six pro fight. thats two by TKO and two by submission. He also went six and one as an amateur with another four finishes. Now, notably, Ronderos, his opponent here coming into this fight—guess how he lost in his last fight? Yeah, round one submission. Matter of fact, round one submission. Uh, I think like two and a half minutes into the round. Is the UFC giving Carpenter a layup here? You really got to ask yourself that question. We'll talk more about it, but I think this is a layup here for Carpenter. As for Juan Camilo Ronderos, is in search of his first UFC win after losing his fight, his first UFC fight back 2021 to David Dvorak. And that was the fight he lost in March of 2021, about two years ago by submission. Why the long layoff? Mm, We'll get to that. He withdrew from a UFC fight in 2021 after the Dvorak fight. Okay, whatever. But then soon after, he'd slapped with a nine-month suspension for being on the gear. He got tested positive for a banned substance. I'm not sure what it was. Fortunately for him, UFC has not let him go, I guess. But here we are two years later after all that, and supposedly he's focused and ready to go. He was doing some interviews recently. It just seems like maybe he learned his lesson. We will see. Ronderos went 9-0 as an amateur before going pro in 2019. Much like Carpenter, he does his best work on the ground looking for submissions. And that's what the danger is going to be because they both enjoy working on the ground. They both have submission ability. His only two finishes as a pro have been by submission. Ronderos also had a handful of submissions as an amateur. What concerns us about him is the long layoff and the weak strength of schedule, right? Ronderos has fought in almost, he hasn't fought in almost two years, and he hasn't won a fight in four years. Reminds me of Shane Young, was it? Mister Young last week. Young fought on the two eighty four card. The Australian, he hadn't won a fight in years, and when you haven't won a fight in years, it just it's, like, it's habit forming. Okay, he hasn't won a fight since two thousand nineteen. It's just in twenty three. You know, it's just we're getting on the point. Where we're about to be half a decade. You know, so losing's a habit. Winning's a habit. So on and so on. Now he steps into this fight against a very hot prospect. That's ver- that's also well rounded. So prior to his UFC debut. He fought in small promotions against questionable competition. It's no wonder he makes his UFC debut against David Dvorak. No offense against Dvorak, but Dvorak's, you know, okay. He makes his UFC debut against that guy, gets finished round one. That's what happens. Guys are fighting regional scene, international, whatever. They step into the UFC or Bellator, top promotion against a legitimate opponent and tch, Aladdin. So we may not even have this guy as a possible UFC. He may not even be UFC caliber. We don't know that. I think with carpenter mr concrete carpenter i think we know he's ufc caliber now the questions become how high a caliber will he be with ronderos question marks you know abound this fight seems like a slam dunk for carpenter the only question is how does he get it done the betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight not going the distance at minus 240 carpenter instead the distance at minus 115 to minus 110. We may have a small play on a submission prop for Ronderos, which right now is currently sitting at plus 600. So we'll definitely tinker with that. A submission seemed like the only path to victory for Ronderos. My last few notes in this fight, positives and negatives. For Clayton Carpenter, orthodox stance, balanced fighter, good gym, MMA lab, only 26 years old. Wrestling is good. Submission is good. Striking power is on point. Our concerns for him, competition and experience. His toughest fight thus far was on contender series. He went to decision. Here's a guy with a high, high finish rate, right? It's funny how the guys with a high finish rate, things kind of slow down once they get up (laughs) to higher level. As for Juan Camilo Ronderos, out of Extreme Couture, also a very good gym. So the gym factor, neutral. He's 28, both about the same age. Now, Juan Camilo, we didn't mention before, he is a southpaw. That's always an adjustment for fighters. The fight probably plays out more on the feet, but he is a southpaw from Colombia. And we consider his fighting style a balanced fighting style. What's to like about Camilo? 9-0 amateur record, has two submission wins in his first five professional fights. Good gym, Southpaw. Our concerns: long layoff, suspension for testing positive for the stuff. Am I going to put like minus two eighty, or I'm sorry, two hundred eighty bucks, three hundred bucks, just you know, to win one unit here? I don't know if we're going to do that. I don't know if we get to that point. But that's your breakdown, boys and girls. We like Mister Clayton, Concrete Carpenter, to keep things going and get a win here. And hopefully, it's by submission in round one because that plays plus one thousand, and we're going to be we're going to be playing that spot. All right, guys, let's move on to the next fight. Alrighty, moving up the car, we've got a welterweight bout, 170 pounds between the American A.J. Fletcher, goes by the ghost, versus Themba Gorimbo. Gorimbo, I believe is how you say that last name. He goes by the answer, and Themba is from Zimbabwe, has some experience fighting in South Africa and also the Middle East. We'll talk about that when we break down his profile, give you the pick to win to get that out of the way. For those who need to move forward in the video, we'd like Themba Gorimbo by submission. That's sitting at plus plus 525 right now. So if you do play that, there's quite a bit of return. Uh, There's inherent risk there. He's obviously making his debut. We'll break all that down for you. But the pick here is Themba, the Zimbabwe fighter, to win this fight as the underdog by submission. Okay, let's look at the background. Details in these two guys. AJ Fletcher, the ghost, 9-2 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He is the prohibitive favorite here, currently sitting at, give me a second here, minus 240, and you've got Themba on the other side at plus plus two hundred. For Fletcher, he's 26 years old, based out of Lafayette, Louisiana, five foot ten in height with a 67 inch reach. I want to emphasize 67 inches because he will have a reach disadvantage in this fight. And he trains out of Gladiators Academy. As for Themba, 10 and 3 overall, very similar fight experience, only one more fight total as a professional. Four one of his last five fights, he is a dog here at plus 200. Based out of South Africa, Johannesburg to be specific, 32 years young, six foot in height, so about two inches taller, but a 76.4-inch reach is what we'll be have listed on Tapology. Now, Tapology is not the end all, but based upon these approximate numbers here, he's going to have roughly an eight to nine, maybe even nine and a half-inch reach here over A.J. Fletcher. On the feet, I don't believe that's a big deal. But I'll explain to you why on the ground it might be a big deal. So for Themba, he fights out of UMF Johannesburg. According to the votes on topology, Fletcher is the big favorite, getting 71% of the votes, only 29% of the votes coming in for the South African fighters, in, or the Zimbabwe fighter who's fighting out of South Africa. All right, let's get to our breakdown of this fight and what we saw. Age is a former college standout football player, so multi-sport athlete, transitioned to mixed martial arts while in college for like season training after graduating obviously got into full-time mixed martial arts he has a strong physique you know looks like a wrestler very well built average is just about 2.31 takedowns per fight very high finish rate as well 89 percent to be exact eight of his nine pro wins have been by a finish he's also very durable okay so he's not a ko or bust type of guy he actually has a chin he can go the distance he has not been finished in 20 total fights between amateur and pro He's replacing Billy Goff in this fight. Billy Goff was supposed to originally fight uh, Themba, but Billy Goff had to back out. In comes AJ, but it's not a late replacement. He had plenty of notice, and so I don't believe the late. Well, I don't believe the replacement factor is going to be uh, something that's going to negatively impact AJ in this fight. Now, the good news for AJ is not only does he have a lot of time to plan for this fight, but he should have been kind of in the wings already waiting. Like, they have sort of a short list of people, so again, I don't think it's going to be a factor for him. Now, AJ does have endurance issues. This is one of my main concerns for AJ. He lacks the energy to be effective late in round two or late in round three. I believe the reason why he lost his last two fights is a big part of it because of his endurance. If he can shore that up, improve his cardio, the sky's the limit. Hopefully, he's learned some lessons through those last two fights, right? From a betting perspective, though, I got to tell you, it's hard to back people with cardio question marks. I just think across the board, you're better off staying away from it. I don't have a... Statistical analysis for you to give you like a a long list of numbers over years But I would just imagine people with cardio issues when you're betting on them It it could leave you on the losing side more times than not his striking ratio for Fletcher. That is that's also a bit of a concern He does absorb more strikes than he dishes out specifically landing 4.04 per minute and absorbing 5.24 This I believe is a result of him fatiguing in fights and then also his poor stand-up defense You know, he's got more of a grappling background football player, you know uh, striking is the last frontier for him to improve to become a well rounded fighter. His wrestling is solid. Again, takedown defense, though, that, that's an area that also could be improved. 40% takedown defense thus far. So he's good offensive wrestling. Defensively, question marks. Now, as for Themba Gorimbo from Zimbabwe, originally was scheduled to fight Billy Goff in this fight. I believe this replacement actually hurts Themba more than it would hurt AJ. Reason being is I think AJ's a step up over Billy Goff. And so I believe he poses a, a bigger threat. Uh, so from that standpoint, this, this replacement here, I think, hurts Themba uh, more than it would hurt AJ. Now, Themba does have some submission ability. Half of his pro wins, half of them being five, have been by submission. He's also dangerous off his back. I saw some film of him pulling off a triangle choke from his back. He was very calm. He was cool. He was collected. And that's where the reach becomes a factor here. Even though he's going to have this, like, nine-inch reach on the feet, I believe AJ closes distance, gets him up against the fence, tries to get some grappling going, gets him down, especially early on when AJ's you know full of endurance and he's got a full gas tank. So I don't think the distance on the feet and the reach distance is going to be a big deal, but on the ground, these guys who have these long limbs like Themba, they pose unique threats on the ground. They're able to get their legs up and over people's shoulders and pursue triangle chokes, long arms, and do things that are just not as easy for a fighter who's a little bit more bulky like AJ. So I believe the distance, or I'm sorry, reach advantage that is there for them, but it's going to play out more on the ground and not so much on the feet. I can't imagine a scenario in a small cage, the octagon that we have there in um, the apex, that them is going to be able to force AJ to fight at distance. I just don't see it happening. And even if AJ gets tired, he's going to still come flying in. He'll come in, he'll eat a few punches. He'll lean against them, but I try to force the fight to be some kind of a grappling affair. All right. Now on that note, I do think that on the feet, if it is any kind of like, let's say, a few minutes at a time on the feet, they're somewhat equal. Neither one is an amazing striker. Themba has long limbs. He should be able to hit him from distance, long legs, things like that. But the power advantage is clear on the side of AJ. I don't believe that Themba uh, has much power behind his punches. It's one of my big critiques of him. He's got some volume. He throws okay technique, but he's very lean, <laughs> lean slash thin. And so I don't see the power behind his punches. Now, and also on the note, if he tries to stand and trade with AJ, that's going to be a recipe for disaster. I've seen AJ stand in trade with guys like Semmelsberger. He's got a decent chin. Uh, he can go back and forth. He could take one to give one. I just don't know that Themba can take some of that and stand in the phone booth with him. And if he does that, ugh, it's it's going to be a problem. I, I think for Themba, he needs to extend AJ, right? Test the gas tank. See if this guy uh, was prepared. It's not short notice, but it's still not a full camp. So maybe AJ doesn't have his cardio up to speed and he had issues in the past. I believe that's where Themba has to find the path to victory. Extend the fight, get AJ tired, and maybe even off of his back, Themba's able to find AJ making a mistake and then be able to find himself a submission. I think obviously submitting AJ when he's tired in round two or round three is going to be much easier for Themba to pull off than early round one when AJ, for all the criticism I've already laid out, about, laid out about AJ, he is super strong. The dude is a rock, and he's, he's not going to give up. Matter of fact, the fight against uh, Matt Semmelsberger, he loses the fight, but gained a lot of respect from people because he got cut up. He got bladed up, never backed down, was fighting to the very end, even though he was tired, uh, was fighting to the very end. So the guy's got balls. And, you know, from that standpoint, we don't want to raise any questions about his his heart or how much he wants to fight because he's a tough kid. The experience advantage on the side of AJ. He also hits harder, and he's had enough time to prepare for this fight. So I think those are all positive factors there for AJ. Yet, after this entire breakdown, we find ourselves lacking confidence in him. We just don't have confidence. And at minus 255, don't have that kind of confidence. We really can't back fighters who have a documented history of endurance issues. And right now, AJ's in that part of his career where he still has that you know, reputation of having issues with cardio. Demba's a bit of a dark horse. He does have some solid submission skills. I wonder if it has solid, meaning like you know, regional scene, South Africa, pull off some submissions. We don't know if that translates to the UFC. It usually doesn't. <laughs> But because of our doubts for AJ and the submission skills of Themba, we're still looking to know more about this kid, Themba. We don't know a lot about him. He's a bit of a dark horse. The plus money is nice. Kind of puts us in a situation where we think this is a live dog we're going to take a shot here at Themba. The spots we like for betting purposes, Themba by submission is plus 525. Themba by decision is plus 510. AJ by KO is plus 200. I do think AJ can knock him out. Dude's got a lot of power, especially early on. We're just not confident in distance props. Now, usually we'll do like an over one and a half, under two and a half distance, you know, going the distance or not. This fight, it gives me the willies. I can see this fight ending right away. Like AJ comes out, boom, knocks out Themba, it's over. Um, I've seen Themba pull off some guillotines early on that are dangerous, and you know AJ's gonna be going in for a takedown, and Themba has some super long, thin forearms. Again, that length of getting your arms around people for guillotines and then having a thin forearm that slides under someone's chin much easier. I could see a world where this fight ends like crash and burn right away. The first two minutes of the fight, it's over. I could also see AJ getting tired, but not giving up and going the full distance. And just a little stat for you guys, neither fighter has ever been finished as a professional. So they, they are durable. We could see them both go in the distance. They both also have good finishing ability. And of course, AJ has what eight of his nine wins have been by finish. He's lost by decision. Both of his losses are by decision. So, you know, there's, there's not enough there for me to be sure this fight goes beyond a round and a half or under run and a half, uh, yeah, just not enough to go off. I want to look here quickly at a few more notes. I have these two fighters just to make sure I'm not missing anything. AJ Fetcher, amateur experience. I do want to talk about that. He did have, what, seven, seven wins and two losses as an amateur. You like that. I believe that for them, but he only had like two amateur fights. So when you count their total fights together, AJ does have a little bit more ring time. Finish rate, very good for AJ. Athletic background, very durable, like we said, and he's a good wrestler, averaging about 2.31 takedowns per fight. The concerns we have for AJ, two-fight losing streak, cardio, as we mentioned before, negative striking ratio, and his takedown defense. As for Themba Goriembo, this will be his UFC debut. So that's, you know, big stage, awesome situation in the apex, kind of sterile. But, you know, that's a, it's sort of, it's hard to weigh the pros and cons there. It's usually cons because it's just such a big stage, right? But it is his UFC debut. What's to like about Themba? Height and reach. He'll have those advantages. Submission skills, finishing ability, long legs great survival skills. Why did I not mention this? I saw this in film. Garimbo gets clipped, almost falls to a knee. He immediately reaches out to try to grapple with his opponent. He can't reach him. So he backs up on the feet under control, j- dives down for a single leg, double leg, gets a takedown, makes the fight nice and close, grapples the guy, ends up basically neutralizing all the momentum his opponent had. And for a younger fighter, who's well, not younger, 32 for a fighter who's not in the UFC or Bellator, it just really was a glaring po- glaring positive that to see him be able to survive a situation where he was under stress, that could happen here. <laughs> he might get himself, you know, his bell rung at least once or twice against a hard puncher like AJ. AJ doesn't do great technical punches, but that shit's coming out hard. He's hitting with bad intentions. And so for Themba, again, I like that, good survival skills. And then his submission defense, too, saw him in a situation where he was defending, I think, a guillotine choke in a fight that was back and forth and did a great job of getting out of it. He's a bit. It's his physique. His physique is uh, it's uh, deceiving. He looks like he's not quite the build of uh, Nate Diaz, but he's of that ilk where it's leaner, thinner. Doesn't look very impressive. Are you a lifeguard? Are you a swimmer? Oh, you're a UFC fighter. It's you know it doesn't look like that. So he's a bit dece- deceiving. Um, and from that standpoint, I think he's going to fool a lot of people in this matchup. We're going to look at him like oh this little skinny African kid against a jacked white boy from Louisiana. We've seen this play out many, many times before. All right. The concerns, the only two concerns we have for the South African fighter are the striking power. Again, we mentioned before, doesn't seem to have much behind his punches, only has one TKO victory thus far as a pro. And then competition, of course. He has fought in UAE Warriors. He's also fought EFC where he held the belt, welterweight belt, I believe. He's also fought in, um, I'm missing, oh, Fury, Fury FC. That's about the best you can do before going into a high level promotion like Bellator or like UFC. Uh, that's about as good as you can do so from that standpoint he's fought on the cusp of where he should be it's still not aj fletcher it's still not the ufc this is a step up in competition and last but not least the change in schedule he was supposed to fight billy goff billy goff is not bad but aj fletcher's better so that's your summary of this breakdown here aj fletcher versus Demba Gorimbo. from a betting perspective if you guys don't know we give a full bet tip sheet out for all the bets for every single card Now's a good time to remind you to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. If you look down here below in our video description here on YouTube, you'll see a link there for our Substack newsletter. Subscribe right now. It's completely 100% free. There's no payment of any kind, just an email. You're set to go. No paywall, no Patreon. Full card breakdowns arrive in your inbox Monday morning, Tuesday morning around that time period. Nine o'clock in the morning, you got it right there in your email. Full card breakdown for every UFC card, Bellator card, PFL, Invicta. When we can, we'll cover some other promotions, all nice written format, and you also get a full tip sheet. Now, the tip sheet usually comes Thursday or Friday later in the week just because of odds and numbers. We're waiting for that stuff to come out. But subscribe to our Substack newsletter to get these breakdowns you're hearing right now in a written format along with a full tip sheet. For those who were following us last week, we had a killer week, plus 9.00 units. We had a crazy parlay with 11 legs that actually cashed, and it was even close to cashing even bigger because we had the William Knight. Leg in that parlay and william knight of course went to a draw anyway enough of all that subscribe to our substack newsletter follow us on twitter follow us on instagram subscribe to this video i mean subscribe to this video subscribe to this channel please like and share our content that's how you help us produce more and more content for you okay enough of that let's get back to this breakdown here again we like aj fletcher against themba garambo we're going to choose Themba to win the fight by submission open up his UFC career on an exciting note, and for AJ Fletcher, it's going to be tough because I do like the kid, but setting him back to three losses in a row, I know we're in the minority. I'm looking forward to all the chatter down below the comments that we're crazy for choosing this kid who's a UFC debutante. We get it, and I like AJ Fletcher. But scared money don't make no money, and we love plus money, so we're on them to win the fight by submission. Moving up the card, prelim card that is. Next fight's gonna be two veteran fighters, both in their late 30s. Light heavyweight battle, 205 pounds between Felipe Lins, the Brazilian fighter, versus the Haitian, Ovince Saint-Proulx. They speak uh, French down there in Haiti, so it makes sense with the last name saint prou Anyway, before I go into the breakdown and the particulars, I'll give you my pick to win to get out of the way. I like Felipe Lins by third round knockout. That's the prediction. I'll try to convince you of why we came to that conclusion throughout this breakdown. Currently, Linz is the favorite at minus 215 with OSP at plus 185. This line has not moved too much since it came out compared to, let's say like the, uh, Bueno Silva line versus Landsberg that's moved quite a bit, even more in favor of Silva or like the Jessica Andrade line versus Aaron Blanchfield got to a point where it's like minus 165 today. Now it's back down to minus 155. There's been more movement there. This line here has been pretty stable. And it makes about sense because I would, I would list uh, Felipe Linz as about a two-to-one favorite in this fight. makes sense to me. It'd be like I'm about a third-round knockout. Okay, let's get to the details. We'll run through that first and then give you our analysis, right? So lightweight, light heavyweight bout, 205 pounds. 26 and 16 is the record of OSP. He's two and three in his last five fights. Currently a plus 190 ish underdog. Now based out of Knoxville, Tennessee. 39 years old in 10 months, so roughly 40 years old. 6'3 in height with an 80 inch reach. Massive reach, right? And he's training, he's training out of Knoxville Martial Arts Academy, which is, of course, in Knoxville, Tennessee. As for Mr. Linz, who goes by Monstro, he's 15 and 5 overall. He's 3 and 2 in his last five fights. He's the prohibitive favorite here out of Rio Grande do Norte, Brazil, 37 years old. Six foot two in height, so one one inch shorter. The seventy eight inch reach, only a two inch reach disadvantage. I don't think it's gonna be much of a factor for this fight. As for Felipe Lins, one of the most impressive things about him is that he trains out of American Top Team. This gym is just loaded. I'd have to say, arguably one of the top, let's say, their top five in the world, at the very least. Like there's City Kickboxing, there's AKA, there's uh, Killcliff. You know what I mean? Like there's just a handful of gyms that you know meet that threshold and American top team just has so many damn fighters you're figuring he's getting good training surrounded by some good guys anyway let's look at the uh, details in these two guys let me pull up my notes here I don't have my notes available what am I doing have you guys here waiting for me all right so Felipe Lins by third round knockout that's our prediction we wouldn't be surprised if this fight though doesn't even happen if it gets canceled if you look back at their topology you notice there's been some cancellations for both fighters this is the third time they're actually matched up with each other, so maybe three times is a charm. But if we do have something that happens this week, cancellation, last-minute change, let's not be surprised. Now, for Felipe Linz, he's had a very interesting pro career. I guess that's just one way of putting it. He had a run in the PFL back when they first started out, 2018, their first season. And in that season, he goes on to win the heavyweight title and wins the million-dollar prize, right? How about that? Life is looking good. From there, he signs with the UFC. Then he fights two fights in the UFC, back-to-back losses against Arlovsky and Tanner Bozer. So it's it's a prime example of how, at least during that time, PFL clearly did not have fighters in the PFL that can compete with fighters in the UFC. Comes to the UFC, loses back-to-back fights, then proceeds to get a ton of cancellations, like eight fight cancellations over a two-year period. And most of them were on him. Twice he was medically not cleared, Backing out for some injuries. There was one time when it was OSP, one of their prior matchups, who had to back out. And, uh, yeah, so just a lot of inactivity, right? Uh, Didn't fight very much. Then he fought against... One second here. He fought against... uh, Excuse me, a second while I pull it up. Behind on this. I should have my notes available, right? He fought against Marcin Prochnia. That was last year. Got a decision win looked pretty good in that fight especially because he was coming now back down to light heavyweight the first light heavyweight fight that he had fought in a while in a few years though don't get it twisted here he did originally have a light heavyweight career that's what he started at so he fought at for a while before he moved to heavyweight okay back into my breakdown here so um osp canceled on him he had some cancellations himself um for an aging fighter coming down in weight now from heavyweight had some medical issues there are some red flags there. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a problem with the weight cut and he has another medical issue. I mean, getting older, it's tougher to cut weight. Again, I thought he looked good in his last fight against Marcin Pratchnell, but there's a lot of instability there. And as you can tell, I'm raising some red flags here. I would not be betting on Felipe Lins with a lot of confidence in this fight, even though we're predicting him to win by a knockout. There are some issues here. And if he comes out with any kind of issues that are going on, it, it could be enough that he loses lose the fight because of it, right? Now, in his defense, he did look good, like I said in the last fight against Procter now, so I I do want to qualify when I say the weight and stuff. He did come out. He looked good. He was in really good shape. He averages 3.40 strikes per minute, but he absorbs 4.25, clearly a negative striking ratio. He averages just under two takedowns per fight at 1.84. Pretty good. I mean, maybe just enough. Get one or two takedowns in this fight just to mix things up, keep Ovince, St. Pru off balance, maybe even control part of a round. And then in terms of takedown defense, he has 100% takedown defense. That's very good for Linz. Now, OSP will try some takedowns every now and then, though he tends to fade off. As the fight goes on, once we get into, like, let's say, three, four-minute mark of round two, he's not very effective, actually, in getting a takedown. Excuse me. All right, so... That's for takedown offense and defense. Now, he will be giving up two inches in reach and about each reach in, um, one inch in height. I don't think it's a big deal. Again, I think that's just comparable. These guys are both about six foot, six foot, you know, two, six foot three in, in height. Um, and though Linz has a negative striking ratio, when you compare his striking numbers to St. Prue, Saint Prue is a very low-volume striker, like just over two and a half strikes landed per minute. And so it's not likely that Linz is gonna lose a striking battle. If this fight were to somehow go the entire three rounds. You kind of can see that St. Prue, he slows down. He has low volume. Lens on paper, mathematically, has more volume. So he should win that fight if it goes the full distance. Now, as for OSP, Vince St. Prue, also known as OSP, if that makes any sense, right? OSP. He's in a similar point in his career. He's had multiple cancellations over the last few years. In his defense, he only withdrew from one of those fights, though so everyone else was like out of his control. Pro for 15 years, right? So I think he went pro 2008 or something like that. Is that 15 years? I could be off. No, that's 15 years. So, yeah, 2008, been a pro for a long time. During that time, he has faced a laundry list of championship-level caliber athletes, even guys that are champions now. For example, he fought Jamal Hill, current champion. Ryan Bader, current Bellator champion. Glover Teixeira, just lost the belt, whatever, last year. Kagar Mousasi, lost his Bellator belt last year. John Jones, you may have heard of him. Uh, Mauricio Rua, uh, former champion himself. So, he has fought guys of that caliber. Uh, now, has he beaten them? Uh, no, but, but uh, he has fought guys of very good caliber. On that same note, though, he's also had a handful of respectable wins over the last few years. He's beaten guys like Alonzo Menafield and Tyson Pedro. I think Mikhail Oleshechik may be one of the more impressive ones now looking back. On the flip side, he lost to Ben Rothwell by a split decision in 2020 and then got TKO'd by Tanner Boser two years ago. It's a matter of half glass full, half glass empty with him in terms of how you look at his schedule. Over the past six years, 11 fights he has not won two fights in a row that's an amazing stat so looking at that you know 11 fights six year span my man has not won two fights in a row now if you're considering that mathematics and that trend well he just won a fight his last fight he won so he is due for a loss now (laughs) we'll see if that trend continues one of the biggest concerns we have or biggest issues we have with him is his fighting style he's a reactive fighter he does not initiate the pace or initiate the contact, he's strictly reactive, counter striker, and a limited counter striker at that. Can stand and watch for minutes on end, just has his hand out here, plotting, waiting, trying to find one strike. As the fight goes on and he fatigues, it becomes less and less volume. He averages about 2.72 strikes per minute. That's actually a little bit more than what I said earlier. So 2.72 per minute is his strikes per minute average. Versus a busier fighter, he can quickly get behind on the scorecards. You can see how it can happen. Now, one last concern we have for OSP is his endurance. Now, endurance related to his age. The last few fights, you get to the second half of the second round. If it gets into round three, he's just very slow. You can see that he's fatiguing. Is that an age factor? He's almost 40. I don't know. He's been in some wars, been around a long time, a lot of fights. But we're starting to see some level of fatigue in his fights. And if he's not doing well in the first half of the fight, doesn't have like complete control, He's in a bad situation in the second half of the fight. Now, looking at Linds, he didn't have that problem in recent fights, seemed to have pretty good cardio, was was fairly active. Now, all things considered, these are two veterans. This should be a very good fight. Both of them kind of need a win here. I think even more so for OSP. If this is a bad loss for OSP or an embarrassing type of defeat, don't be surprised if he hangs it up, retires and actually puts his gloves down. Ultimately, a loss may also send him out of the promotion. So he may not be retiring from mixed martial arts, maybe want to fight a little bit longer. He, his contract might be up after this. He's four and seven in his last 11 fights. This would make him four and eight if he were to lose this, lose this fight as well. For Linz, is a championship run really realistic at this point in his career? Maybe not, but a run at the top seven, top 10 to be ranked again. You know, go out with a handful of wins, go out on a winning streak, um, and you never know, a loss or two to some top guys, and next to you know, you're in a chance for title contention. That's best-case scenario. But at his age for Philippe Linz, it is definitely now or never. I also have to wonder if after his contract with the UFC is up, would he look back to going to the PFL considering what's going on over there and all the momentum? I don't know. I mean, he was in a good spot. I I, I can argue he never should have left the PFL, right? He won in 2018, should have stayed 2019 and tried to repeat. So the betting spots we like for this fight are the fight going under two and a half rounds at plus 110, Our biggest reason why is we're wondering if OSP can really fight beyond two rounds. So under two and a half rounds at plus 110. Fight knock on the distance at minus 120. Linz into the distance at plus 180. Linz by decision at plus 170. And OSP by knockout at plus 600 because he does have power. There's that chance. There's always that chance. We'll figure out how we're going to play this. Of course, as usual, check out our full bet tip sheet. Um, At the end of the week, you can get that full tip sheet available through our Substack newsletter, we give you a full tip sheet on our entire our parlays individual picks our props We always put some specials in there, which are kind of cool to do last week We had a special that was 11 legs and actually cashed out It was $15 or yeah, $5 to make like $2,000 it actually hit now one leg became a draw to be specific that was the William Knight not William night fight uh, it was the The fight with uh, Jimmy Crute and what's his name because went to a draw Anyway, yeah, subscribe to our Substack Newsletter. That link is down below. It's 100% for free to subscribe. You get a weekly newsletter with full card breakdown, written format, a link to our YouTube breakdown as well, this breakdown like you're seeing right here, and also along with a full tip sheet for all of our t- all of our bets. You don't have to play them, but it's just a f- something to look at. Maybe it's an idea if you want to add to some of the bets you're placing as well. And again, 100% for free. All right, so for this fight again, we're going with Philippe Linz to win by a third-round knockout. And again, we're thinking OSP slows down. He gets tired. If you looked at how he lost some of his recent fights, like his last fight that he lost, which fight was that? That was against Tanner Bowser. Now Tanner Bowser, not for nothing, he's an okay fighter, but it was it was a handful of punches, nothing that was crazy. And moments before that, OSP was actually in top control on the ground. Tanner kind of grabbed the cage, and it was you know a little bit of a violation. The commentators were like, "That's bad." They said, like, that's bad about 10 times in a row. That was Daniel, Daniel Cormier. He couldn't find another word. He just kept saying, that's bad. Bad. That's so bad. That's bad. Bad, bad, bad. Anyway, um, some final notes in these two fighters. OSP does fight into both stances. He's listed as a southpaw, but he actually will change from both stances. Uh, again, 39 years old. Kickboxing is his sort of his style. Low-volume kickboxer. He's a veteran. Been around for 15 years. Looking back on his first start to his career, though, his first few fights, he lost his first two fights. He went 0-2. I think he went like 2-3 in his first five fights. Just a real rough start to his career. Here we are, 15 years later, has had a pretty good run of it. He had a 5-0 record as an amateur. Competition-wise, we went through some of the names. He fought some of the best of the best. Our concerns for him? Inconsistent. We mentioned he hasn't won two fights in a row in like years, six, seven years, last 11 fights. Durability is a concern. Four of his last eleven fights, he has been finished. That's a high rate of being finished. Um, at thirty-nine years old, he's starting to show signs of, you know, just depreciating assets. Right, he's getting slower. Uh, his reaction time is slower. Volume's going down. He's been pretty inactive too. Two MMA fights since two thousand twenty, so averaging just about one fight per year. He had a split decision win against Mauricio Rua in two thousand twenty-two. Now, he did fight Rua years ago and knocked him out in round one. That was impressive. But 2022 Rua, uh, that's a different version of Rua. And we saw Rua towards the end. Heck, we saw Ihor, a younger prospect who's just coming up in the UFC, finish Rua the other day for Rua's last fight. But yet here, OSP went to a split decision with Rua just last year. Kind of gives you a measure there. That's not. That's not good. Of course, OSP, we mentioned before, has a negative striking ratio and a low volume output at 2.72 strikes per minute. As for Linz, 37 years old, out of ATT, very good gym. Also, switch stance fighter, fights out of both stances. Love the fact that he's come in a very good gym. 2018 PFL champion, he'll always have that on his resume. High finish rate, he has finishes in eight of his last nine wins. That surprised me when I saw that. I didn't know of him as much of a finisher. Positive striking ratio, He's got higher volume than o s p so if the fight were to theoretically to play out for three full rounds, he should win that fight based upon striking unless he get got knocked down let's say in two rounds. The concerns for him, the cancelled fights, you know medical reasons like not being cleared medically, you know he's changing weight class here towards the end of his career, going back to a weight class he knows, but still you know don't you know weight class movement and your career. It's always a bit of a red flag doesn't mean it's going to be anything could be nothing but it's still a red flag you want to look at it and consider it he's one and two in the ufc after finish after winning the pfl crown he came to the ufc it, you know it's been a little bit different a little more competition right and durability he's been finished in four of his five losses so when he loses he tends to get finished and that's why we're playing the ko prop for osp because if osp were to win we don't think it's going to happen with the late round two, round three, wrestling, surge, position control. He's out there outboxing, Philippe Lins, landing more strikes, and we're like, wow, look at OSP with all this volume. No, it's probably going to be in round one when he's fresh. He catches Philippe Lins. Philippe Lins, for for better or for worse, I believe his head heavyweight days, right, which he had behind him, now he comes back down to light heavyweight. He has a sense of confidence that's more than, let's say, the – Typical heavyweight who's been flying a a light heavyweight for a long time. For Felipe Lenz, he's taken punches from heavyweights. So for him coming back back down to light heavyweight, I think he has an innate innate amount of, uh, let's say, uh, confidence in himself. And he'll sit and he'll trade with OSP. That could be to his demise. That could be a bad idea. But he will trade with OSP. They will go back and forth. And if OSP lets his hands go, anything's possible. But back around to our final summary of this fight. I think we went through every single detail that we could. I'm not sure if you agree with us now, <laughs> but I think if this fight, there's two ways it can go. Either there's an early finish of some kind by OSP, or we get to that, you know, halfway point of round two, and now fatigue endurance becomes a factor. Philippe Linz continues the the, the, the the momentum, the volume, pressure, and pace, and we can even see not a not a knockout per se, but just OSP not returning punches face down, balled up, and you got Lynch just sort of landing, landing uh, ground strikes, and the fight ends that way. But Mike Linz to win here. In terms of the line, at minus 215, you know, if you want to bet that straight up, we might take a chunk of it. You know, we do like him here quite a bit. Not sure how else we're going to play it. Again, subscribe to our newsletter so you get the full tip sheet totally free. Good luck with this fight, guys. Let's move on. Moving up the prelim card, we've got a featherweight bout at 145 pounds between the American fighter Jamal Emmers and the Russian, Hussein Askabov, will give you the pick right here. Before we even get into this breakdown, we like Jamal Emers to win by decision. He's currently sitting at plus one ten range or around a pick'em price. You got Askabov at minus one thirty. We love the price. This is great. If anything, we're hoping that people put some more money on Askabov because you know he's got the Russian last name. They tend to get a little bit more money coming in on them at times. And uh, I'm here to tell you, Jamal Emers is the pick. Jamal Emers wins this fight. Not sure he gets a finish which could be a problem. He's been on the wrong side of some, some weird decisions, but um, we do think he wins the fight. I'm going to try to convince you as much to this breakdown. Okay, let's start with the basics here. Jamal Emmerich goes by Pretty Boy. He's 18 and 6 overall, 3 and 2 in his last five fights. He's currently the slight dog here. Out of Redlands, California, 33 years young, 5'10 in height with a 74-inch reach. Trains out of Pinnacle MMA. Pretty good gym. As for Hussein, who goes by Nacho, but I guess it's maybe pronounced Nocho because it's got like an H in there. It makes me think of like Nacho, like Nacho Libre. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Nocho, the uh, Russian version of Nacho Libre, is undefeated with a whopping 23-0 and 0 record. Of course, we pulled that record apart and dissected it and found ourselves amongst a lot of very average fighters or maybe even fighters that couldn't even cut it, let's say, in promotions like LFA or Cage Warriors. We'll go to that later on. He's now in a South Florida. 28 years old, five foot eight in height, so about two inches shorter than Jamal Emmer's. Reach-wise, we don't have a reach number on Hussein, but having watched him on some film, he doesn't have very long arms. Jamal's going to have quite the reach on him. Jamal will have the boxing technical advantage on him, and Jamal should be able to land at range. For Hussein, he's done some training out of Tiger Muay Thai, you may have heard of it, and out of some other gym called American Top Team. So in essence, he's been around some top-notch training. I do want to qualify the gym though. If he if you look at typology, he missed some fights due to like visa issues and whatnot. So does that mean he's probably training back in Russia when he's home full time, but then goes to American top team for the last few weeks of his camp before he has a fight? I'm just putting it out there. We'll come back around to that, but I'm just wondering if it's if it's full time or is it part time? He's actually training at American top team. Okay, just some. Um, well, I'll give you some other numbers later on. Let's look at the actual summary of these two fighters. So we like Emmer's by decision. This fart, this fight, <laughs> this fart, <laughs> this fight marks the debut for Ashkabov into the UFC. So he's coming in first time, bright lights, far from home. Now, we believe that the OV in the last game, that last name, right? Uh, Ashkabov, right? OV in the last name. Between that and the 23-0 record, that's what's driving this money line. You see, if you look at the film these two fighters and you break them down, I think anyone with a good, decent, mixed martial arts eye would favor Emmers but most casual betters who are not going to watch any film are going to see a Russian fighter, Russian flag, sitting around minus one thirty range, minus one forty, and say, "Oh, these guys tend to be pretty good." Then they'll go one step further, look at Jamal Emmer's topology and see some red and be like, "Oh, inconsistent." Then they see this guy, this guy's topology, it's all green, all these wins. And again, I I didn't get into heavy betting until I start. I started like everyone else, like little by little. you casually betting, sprinkle here and there. Then you find out what topology is, and you're like, oh, this topology thing. And, and then you find out what you know what, uh, what the, uh, the odds websites are, and you, you do that. And then you find out, you know, little by little, you get into it. But before you get to this point, this crazy point that we are now as, as degenerates into the game of, game of mixed martial arts, you were just looking at these lines and saying, it's a Russian guy, OV, decent price. I'm going to take him and throw him in there. So that would drive the line. Um, and hopefully it just drives it as much as possible. Now, we're here to save you some money, so listen very carefully. <laughs> if you didn't hear our breakdown last week or didn't read our newsletter, I'm going to remind you of what we said last week. We advised bettors to stay away from Turkogov last week. Now, he was minus 500 to minus 600 range, which made it even more crazy. But they were red flags. We talked about them. We, we had issues with him as a recent, you know, had no activity and just a lot of red flags, right? We feel the same way about Oskapov. Red flag number one, numero uno. He's coming off of a very long layoff, almost three years, just like Turkogov. Okay, long layoffs, never good, no bueno. Secondly, the 23-0 record, it's, it's a mirage, it's an illusion. It's like an illusion like this, okay? Don't let it fool you. I can argue that record is the equivalent of, let's say, an American fighter in a good promotion whose 10-0 is an amateur, Like seriously, I can I can argue that because of who he was fighting. For example, a guy named Desemi, Desme, I'm sorry, who's 16 and seven. He fought this guy in 2016. I'm bringing this fight up because it's just an average caliber of what he's facing. He went to decision with that guy, and watching the fight, it was somewhat close. At no point did Hussein separate himself, look amazing, and I was like, it's a regional guy, Eastern Europe. Who looked very average, put it that way and didn't have great cardio, good output so that's the kind of guys he's been fighting now, that was 7 years ago, I get it but again, it's indicative of the overall quality of who he's been fighting over there his striking is very sloppy, he leaves himself open for counters, not just counter punches but Jamal Emmers, who was a very good high school wrestler, got a scholarship to college for wrestling he'll find a counter wrestling opportunity, so if Hussein's being wild and being off balance it'd be easier to take him down now, we don't think the wrestling that Hussein has over there in the Eastern European circuit, edge of Russia, Ukraine, whatever wrestling he's doing there, I don't think it's going to translate to UFC. He's going to try. I see him trying at some point to, to wrestle with Jamal and try to get him to the ground. He'll find out real quickly, Jamal's too athletic, too skilled, and he will not be able to get him down. And if he does get Jamal down, Jamal's going to pop right back up. <laughs> Remember, is a very good wrestler, and I believe he's much more athletic than Hussein. Now, as for Mr. Emers, I think he's one of the most underrated fighters, at least on this card. People are overlooking him. Now, that's not my thought. I've heard some whispers from other people that I also respect, and I saw some notes out there from people just you know, tweeting out, listen, Emers, don't overlook him. I saw that before I got into my breakdown. When I got into my full breakdown of him, yeah, I saw what, I saw what they were talking about. I do like Emers here. Now, for example, let's talk about this Giga-Chikaze split decision loss. Now, we all admit Giga is a pretty good UFC fighter. Now, is he championship level? No. Was he overrated the last year or so before he got, you know, grinded out by guitar? Yeah, he had his moments of being a little overrated, okay? But for a moment there, he was the flavor of the month. Against Giga, if you go back and watch that fight, it on paper says Jamal Emmer's lost by split decision. He won that fight. He won round two, won round three. Lost round one. Pretty damn simple. He finished the fight on top, landing ground strikes in round three. They robbed him. And you see him avoid striking. You see him adjust between rounds. Round one, he gets hit with a few things, a few body shots, those Giga kicks. Round two and three, uses great footwork. Outpaces Chikadze. outvolumes him in the second, third round. Has better cardio. Shows great fitness. Gets some takedowns. It's just better. If you don't believe me, go back and watch the fight. It's available online. You know, I thought he looked a lot better than Giga did in round two and three. And should have got the win. Somehow two judges thought the gig still won the fight. <laughs> so in our personal record book, Emmers is two and on the UFC. You're probably like, well, what do you mean? He lost to Sabatini. No, 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 no. Let me pump the brakes on the Sabatini loss. I know Patrick Sabatini. The dude doesn't even live too far from where I reside. So why are we not counting the loss to Sabatini? You know why? Because Sabatini is a BJJ expert. This guy does grappling bouts. He, he trades at NPR half the time, and then one of the, I forgot the name of the gym in Philadelphia, it's a powerhouse jiu-jitsu gym in Philadelphia. The guy is, that's his thing. Submissions are his thing. Look at Sabatini's resume. It was an early round one heel hook. I don't count it. I don't count it. If anything, I count it as a grappling bout in my head. That's how we're, that's how we're doing this today, okay? Personal math, our own version of math. So the loss against Giga, that was a win. The loss against Sabatini, it's a grappling bout. doesn't matter. So in my book, Jamal Emerson is 2-0 and in the UFC. And now for the purposes of the whole big picture, based on my logic, Emers is on a six-fight winning streak and hasn't lost an MMA fight in five years. See, I just did that. Now you should have more confidence in Emers. He's on a long winning streak, hasn't lost a fight in five years. That fight was actually on contender series to Julian Arosa, And he got finished. But we won't talk about that. All joking aside, Emmerich is a solid fighter with a good skill set. He's very athletic and capable of fighting anywhere this fight goes. In our humble opinion here at MMA Fight Club, he's quicker and he should have more power. Both power in the clinch, wrestling, leverage kind of thing, and power in striking. So whereas Hussein has been fighting these regional guys in Eastern Europe, Emerson was fighting much tougher competition, not just in the UFC, but before the UFC, he was fighting in LFA. I think both levels provided him better competition than what Hussein was seeing. Emerson should be able to outclass Hussein in the feet. It shouldn't be close. He's faster, has better striking technique, has a nice jab. Hussein kind of fights like, he's out like this, man. He's, you know, <laughs> there's not really any technique to it. It's just kind of like, do whatever. Looking to get takedowns, so sometimes he's just throwing stuff out there to distract his opponent look for a takedown. We expect Emerson to defend most, if not all, the takedowns. His takedown defense is good. It will be tested, but he's, very a-, he's a very good athlete and has very good cardio. Now, though we like Emerson to win, we just don't see it being by a finish. We see it going to the scorecards. And based on recent history, with Emmer's losing that fight by split decision to Giga Chikadze, he shouldn't feel comfortable going to the scorecards. It is what it is. It probably gets there. Now, for that reason, though, because the judges will be in play, <laughs> we never know what the judges are going to do. I mean, the judges ripped off Tugov last week. Even though we warned people about betting on Tugov, I do think Tugov won that fight, and the judges just screwed him for some reason. <laughs> With that said, we go to a decision. We're thinking, let's get a play in a split decision, maybe. Even a draw. We'll put some sprinkles out there. You never know. But we like Emerson to win the fight by decision. That's plus 350. Hussein by decision is plus 240. Fight goes over one and a half rounds, minus 225. Fight goes to decision is plus 100. Those are some of the props will be considered for this fight. But again, the summary on this fight is going to be Emmer's by decision. If you want to play him on the money line straight up, which we will do that, good luck to you. We feel he's the better fighter overall, all which way, shape, or form. Do not let that record of this Russian fighter fool you or the fact that he's got the Russian last name with the OV, right? Jamal Amherst is legit. He's a good fighter. And remember, like I said, he hasn't lost a fight in, what, five years? He's undefeated in the last five years on a six-fight winning streak. Hasn't lost in UFC. See? See how I did that? <laughs> All right, guys, good luck with this fight. Let's move on. <music> Next up, we have what's going to be a weight bout at 135 pounds between Myra Bueno Silva. First, Lena Landsberg, let me give you our pick to win and how before I jump into this full breakdown, we like Bueno Silva to win the fight by a round one submission, that prop is sitting at plus 650, and I'm going to convince you, that's the play, that's how it goes down. So, Landsberg's currently sitting at plus 370, with Silva sitting at minus 460, this line has done some moving around, Silva opened as a, ah, maybe minus 280-ish favorite, let me look it up for you here. Um, she opened around a minus 280 favorite, and then the line just kept moving. Now she's around minus 460, so clearly money's pouring in on Silva. It makes sense. There's some obvious issues here for Landsberg, things that she can't get over, age being one of the factors. And Bueno Silva has fought some decent fights recently, had some finishes on a bit of a run herself. And even some of her losses definitely could have been wins. Things just kind of didn't work out. She has a weird draw on her resume, which we'll talk about. But we like Silva to win the fight. Let's talk here some particulars in these two fighters. First, details. Landsberg, 10-7 and 7 overall. 2-3 in her last five fights. Based out of Sweden. 40 years old in 11 months, so about to be 41. 5'7 with a 65.5-inch reach. Trains out of Redline TC. As for Silva, she's 9-1 to a 1 overall. Similar level of experience with Lena having a few more fights. But of course, Silva having a higher winning percentage. Silva is 3-1-1 in her last five fights. Big favorite here in this spot. She's out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Thirty-one years old, five foot six in height, so about one inch shorter than Lena. with about a one-inch reach advantage at 66 and a half inches. She trained at a very good gym in Brazil called Chuto Boxe Diego Lima. May have heard of it. If not, it's a very good gym. I can tell you, a lot of UFC fighters are there, fighters in Bellator, fighters in top promotions, and she probably has a ton of partners there to train with. I'm not sure if I follow her on Instagram. I think I do. Yes. Yeah, so on Instagram, she does post some stuff from the gym, and again, she's. So we had a lot of of good partners. All right, into this breakdown here. So Silva by round one submission is plus 650. In our humble opinion, Silva is being handed a nice matchup here. A matter of fact, this could possibly be like a retirement setup here for Lena Landsberg. Like she gets her butt kicked kind of badly on her way out, maybe last contract type of thing. It would require Silva to really drop the ball in this spot. Now she's kind of dropped the ball before, so we have to bet accordingly and consider that as a possibility for doing some hedging here. But barring some kind of a freak injury or something unexpected, some kind of a meltdown, Silva should walk through and win this fight with ease. Now she's approaching minus 500. That becomes our threshold. What can we do with that? I mean, maybe throw it into a parlay. Now it's scary zone. Like, how much value do you get from that? We don't want to over parlay her at this range. We might put her into one parlay. We're better off finding a few props to get more value here. Now, just in case you were wondering. Forty-one years old is not the prime age for female bantamweights. Just as, just in case you had that in your mind, so for Lena Landsberg, she's kind of aging out here. And honestly, we wouldn't be shocked if this becomes her last fight. Maybe it depends on actually how she loses. She made her UFC debut 2016. Akael okay, lost to Chris Cyborg. Okay, you understand that. Her biggest wins have been over Macy Chasson 2019, very nice. And then she bought she beat Putulova twice. One, th- one time in 2017. But her record in the UFC is 500. She's got four wins and four losses. She hasn't had her hand raised in four years since 2019. She's trying to avoid dropping her fourth fight in a row. Her last three defeats were against Carol Rosa, good fighter, Sarah McMahon, another good fighter, and Patty Kianzon. So in her defense, three losses in a row, but good level of opponents. At the same time, reminder of where she's at in her career. She can't beat this level of opponents right now. Is Bueno Silva at that level? I think she's at the level of of Panikianza and Sarah McCann, maybe right below Carol Rosa, right? Lena does a good job of making her fights ugly. When it comes to that grappling, ugly, dirty boxing, Lena lives in that area. She has a knack of forcing people to fight that fight with her. So nasty elbows in close. She's able to close distance, eliminate those nice striking ranges that those more talented strikers have that she doesn't have. She basically knows where she's good at. That's making it ugly against defense. In close, even if she's got her back against the fence, she welcomes this kind of battle, elbows in close, doing dirty boxing. That's where she does her best work. Now, for Silva, in our opinion, she has just about every advantage in this fight, even the age advantage. She's younger by 10 years. Even the fighting styles. All right, let me explain this to you. All right, So if you're talking about Lena Landsberg, she wants to bring you in close. She wants to go with you against the fence. She may even want to back up Bueno Silva against the fence, right? All right, well, for Silva... That's a perfect situation. Silva loved to chase arm bars, and she'll pull guard. Silva will fall to her back, pull guard, even try to grab an arm bar in the air while she's doing so. And in doing that, instinctively, you're going to see now Landsberg go into the guard and get on top of Bueno Silva. Silva will be in a perfect situation to be able to now set up a submission. Does have to be careful, though, that she doesn't stay there too long. You know how those fighters who get in their back for too long period of time, (laughs) they're chasing for submissions, they don't get it, now they lose a round. She has made some mental mistakes in the past. That could be an area for a possible crack in her game where she's chasing submissions early on. She doesn't get it, spends too much, her, too much time on her back, and then drops round one, right? In my opinion, her loss to, for example, De La Rosa, that was a draw, not a loss. She grabbed the cage inadvertently, and the referee took a point, didn't even give her a warning, took a point. Could have just put her into the position on the ground instead of you know taking the point, whatever else. Took a point. It resulted in a draw. It was a mental lapse. It was a mistake. She explained it post-fight. She wasn't trying to cheat. Again, the referee didn't give her a warning, so she didn't have a second chance. It is what it is. Her other fight against Marina Moroz, the Ukrainian fighter. Another fight. She lost by decision 2020. Could have won the fight. You know, in a parallel universe, she could be 11-1 instead of 9-2-1. She was beating Montana De La Rosa. She should have won the fight. Lost the point. There's one win. That would bring her to 10-2. and 2. The fight against Miraz, she should win that fight. And that would bring her to 11 and 1. There's my math for you. She has a 67% finish rate with five submissions. She has four round one arm bar submissions. And a matter of fact, all her submissions are in round one. She even has a round one submission in grappling. <laughs> so when it comes to submissions, it's definitely part of her arsenal. She's won more than half of her matches by submission. They've all been in round one. And she loves arm bars. So bottom line, Silva by submission, it's gotta be something you have to at least consider in this fight. An aging Lena Landsberg has a limited skill set. Lena's pretty tough, she's somewhat durable, but I think Silva by submission here, round one armbar, it's gotta be at least in your scope. The betting spots that we like for this fight, all the betting spots we like for this fight are, Silva by submission at plus 250, that's anytime submission, even though she's never got a submission outside of round one. Again, important fact. Silva by decision at plus 150. Silva by round one submission at plus 650. Lena by decision at plus 475. And because it's a female fight, and Silva has a track record of making mistakes, mental mistakes, costing her points, going to weird decisions and draws and stuff like that. We're gonna play the split decision prop for both fighters and also drop a little coin on the draw. The draw is currently sitting at plus 5500. One of these days I'm gonna hit that damn draw. One of these days. A few more notes on these two fighters before I wrap this up. For Landsberg, again, turning 41. Orthodox, right-handed fighter. Dirty boxing fighting style. Very durable. Only been finished twice in her career. Once by Chris Cyborg. She gets a pass for that one. Ninth UFC fight. You like that? A lot of experience. Has some quality wins over Putulova and Macy Chasson. And she does good in the clinch. The concerns? She's a 500-level UFC fighter the last eight fights. She's getting older now, 41. A bit one-dimensional, just works in the clinch, can't really do much of anything else. She's on a losing streak, has lost three in a row. This would make it four in a row. And then volume. She's leading 2.7 strikes per minute compared to 4.23 for Bueno Silva. So Silva's not quite doubling her in the output, but kind of almost doubling her. <laughs> for Silva, 31 years old. Treating out of Diego Lima, down in Brazil, very good gym. Has the round one submission arm bars on a winning streak. This will be her third fight in a row. If she can win this fight, very durable. Has never been finished. Has a high finish rate, finishing six of her nine wins. She's younger by ten years. Orthodox fighter from Brazil. Our concerns for her: she definitely gets a little bit sloppy round two, round three when she starts fatigue. Her, her striking is not very sharp as it is. It depends upon her grappling. That's where she you know butters her bread. But she gets a little sloppy when she fatigues and. Doesn't look good. (laughs) The draw that she had against Della Montana, we talked about it, you know, something that could have been avoided, mental lapse there, grabbed the cage, didn't have to really do that, was going to win the fight, but nonetheless, it cost her the fight. Uh, Fighter IQ, you know, chasing submissions, right, over position, she's going to do it, okay? She's going to go to her back because this is where she wants to work from. It's up to her opponent, (laughs) Lena, to recognize this. Lena has to stay out of the guard. Once Lena goes into the guard, That's it. You know, it's just a matter of time at that point. And it's probably going to happen pretty quickly. We're going to at least see some attempts there from Bueno Silva. And if she attempts an armbar and Lena makes a different mistake, then she'll go for a triangle choke or she'll try something else. But you can count on her trying to pull guard. The issue becomes where she pulling guard now staying her back for too long. So we'll see what the fighter IQ is like here for Bueno Silva. But we've seen her make some mistakes in the past. Hopefully she doesn't repeat those mistakes here. And then negative striking ratio. For Bueno Silva, she's got decent volume landing 4.23 per minute, but she does absorb five strikes per minute. So she's actually got a negative striking ratio. Luckily for her, she is fighting a fighter that has very low volume. So I don't think it's going to be much of a factor. But we're looking for Silva to win the fight, most likely in round one by submission. We tweeted it out already today, that plus 650 prop for round one. It got some traction. It's making its way around the Twitter sphere. It's a good prop to play. If it doesn't happen, Okay. But numbers wise, there's a strong suggestion that that's a likelihood that she's gonna at least try some submissions, specifically by armbar, and she's been successful successful in the past. The one submission she had that was not an armbar was a ninja choke, that's pretty dope. Look, she's probably capable of doing several different types of submissions, but the armbar is her favorite. We see her winning round one by armbar. If you take our advice and you win, hooray. If you take our advice and it doesn't happen, boo. <laughs> okay, we're on to the next fight, guys. Okay, still making our way up the prelim card. We've got a lightweight fight, 155 pounders between Nazim Sadyakov, who goes by the Black Wolf, versus Evan Elder, two American fighters. Nazim has a Russian last name, but he's from Brooklyn. And for those who don't know, there's plenty of Russians in Brooklyn. I'll tell you that from my experience. Anyway, let's get the winning fighter prediction out of the way first for those who have to move forward in the video. We like Nazim to win the fight by decision. That's our prediction. I will say, this fight, there's going to be blood. As the saying goes, there will be blood. <laughs> this fight is the fight. You're going to see some blood spilled here. And if you haven't seen Evan Elders' last fight, go back and watch that, and you'll see <laughs> the way he fights. And same for Nazim, his Dana White contender fight, just uh, a goddamn bloody mess. All right, let's get here into the particulars in these two fighters. Let's talk details, right? Nazim is seven and one. So is Evan. Very similar amount of experience and same record and nazim is currently the favorite he's listed at minus 175 to minus 200 range with elder at the plus 155 to plus 160 range nazim is from brooklyn 28 years old 5 foot 10 in height with a 69 inch reach and he trains out of longo and wyvern mixed martial arts excellent gym as for evan also at a very good gym he's at Kilcliff fc which is the former gym of now i can't remember their old name <laughs> That's how long it's been Excellent gym, uh, used to be Sanford MMA, that's right. They're down in Florida, great gym. He's got a 71-inch reach, you will have about a two-inch reach advantage here over Nazim. Same height, 5'10", 25 years old in 10 months for Evans, so just a few years younger than Nazim. He's based out of Deerfield Beach, Florida. And again, he's a slight dog in this matchup. for the numbers on Tapology. Sadjikov, huge favorite, 92% of the votes coming in on Tapology are for Sadjikov, only 8% for Elder. We agree, we do like Sadjikov, I don't know if it's a slam dunk, per se, because Evan, he does some things that just keep keep the fight going. And as long as you're in a fight and the fight's not over, you have the, you have the proverbial puncher's chance, right? Okay, looking at our breakdown here in this fight. Again, we like Nazim by decision. That's our prediction. Regardless of who wins the fight and the outcome and the scorecards, whatever, it's going to be exciting. They both fight at a pretty high pace. They both get hit a little bit and they both take their punches pretty well and they both tend to bleed evan enters this fight off a decision loss last year to parsons that was his ufc debut he did a very good job surviving the fight i mean he came in three days notice went the full distance faced some adversities in the fight was able to fight off submissions and ultimately make it a good fight if you look like round three i believe or end of round two he, he has a triangle choke he's defending and it's like a minute left in the round i'm thinking he's not gonna make it he fights it off Reverse his position ends up getting on top just shows a lot of a lot of heart, right? He also trains at a great gym. We mentioned before with excellent UFC level fighters and coaches that does wear off on you. He has not got power as documented with his four TKO finishes in his first eight fights. His cardio is also pretty good. Again, late replacement in that first UFC fight and still went the full distance was a little tired at times. But if you imagine now full camp prepared for the thing a little bit more advanced, he should be better off, right? Evan also has the benefit of fighting out of both stances. He's a switch stance fighter. Now, on the feet, this could get chaotic at times because both guys tend to go for it, but he does have the benefit of switching stances. Now for our concerns for Evan Elder. He loads up big time for his shots, and he does it often. It's one thing if you load up every now and then. He'll do it often to the point where it's like, all right, dude, calm down. (laughs) You know, pump the brakes here. So it would be nice to see him throw a little, just a few simple punches, straight jabs, a little more of that Sean Strickland type of fighting style. As opposed to that like dipping and big motions takes a lot of your gas tank and also much easier for your opponent to read, you know, they see you going through these big motions. So I'd like to see him kind of calm down on that area. He ducks his head. He does the duck your head swing over top. I hope it's all okay up there. I can't see anything going on the backyard, you know, brawl the, the kids in the playground type of style. Who am I to say, I'm not a fighter, but when he gets pressure situation, he starts trading back and forth, he does that. He looks down starts swinging over his head. So I'd like to see that, get that out of his habit or out of his arsenal, right? Last but not least, his takedown defense is a huge concern. Not just in this fight, but any fight. He got taken down repeatedly against Parsons. Now, in his defense, Parsons is a really good wrestler, so put that maybe into a vacuum. But Nazim, you know, the U.S., Russian He's born in the United States, but he's still got some Russian DNA, right? He could grapple, he could wrestle too. I imagine Elvin Evans is going to have to make some big improvements there because his grappling defense is good, but his takedown defense just needs a lot of work. As for Nazim, earned his UFC contract last year with a knockout win in round number three on Contender Series. Super exciting fight. Way better than most of the Contender Series fights. It was matched well, both guys went back and forth. You saw Nazim go through some adversity. I wouldn't say he was ever close to getting finished, but he faced excuse me, some adversity, ends up going to round three and gets a highlight knockout. Comes with a right uppercut to the body and then immediately pulls that right hand back and then hooks it to the right side of the head or left side of the head of the opponent. So to the body with the hook, then up top, completely knocks out his opponent. Guy crumbles. The guy he was fighting against, I forgot the name, but it was like a Middle Eastern last name. He looked Russian himself. Very good opponent. They pulled him back and forth. The finish was it was impressive. It was impressive. At the same time, that fight reminded me a lot of that fight that Parsons had against uh, Evan. I'm gonna get back to that in a second. Anyway, prior to his UFC experience for Nazim, he fought in reputable promotions like LFA and Shamrock FC. He's a very active fighter. He fought four times in the last two years, and I love the way he goes after his opponents early. You know those type of fighters you bet on them, and they're just patient. They're waiting. You're like, come on, dude, let's go. Not him. Nazim goes after it right away. He comes after his opponents looks for contact, doesn't wait for them. He's not a counter puncher. He can counter punch, but he's not looking to counter shit. He wants to push the pace early, force the fight in his opponent, and he has the cardio to do it for all three rounds. He's very effective in the top position. He'll slice his opponents up with elbows. He's done that in recent fights. He knows what it is to stay on top and also maintain top control. And last but not least, his finish rate, 86% finish rate. So I think it's like eight of his nine wins have been by finish, or is it seven of eight? Six of eight, I don't know, seven and one. (laughs) Most of his wins have been by a finish, a very high uh, finishing percentage. Evan Elder is an easy fighter to root for. Don't get me wrong. The way he fights, his attitude, even the post-fight interviews, he's just a nice dude. Like, he's got some class. He's got some respect. He was apologizing to people last time in his last fight that he lost. Like, you hear his coaches in the background saying, dude, three days notice, three days notice. So, big heart, strong cardio. At the very least, he will make this hard for Nazim. That's the one thing. It's not going to be a cakewalk for Nazim. There's going to be a fight. As the saying goes, there will be blood. We are edging Nazim because he is a he's more of a refined striker, has better striking skills and also we believe he's the better wrestler. And though Elder has a phenomenal chin and probably goes the full distance is pretty tough, he lacks takedown defense and gets hit a little bit too much. Looking at his face and after his last fight against Parsons, he had some pretty bad damage there cuz he's just getting hit too much. Probably has a little too much uh confidence in his chin, maybe that's what it is. The betting spots we like for this fight are the fight going over a round and a half. We think these guys have some level of durability. We should get at least into, let's say, round number three. We like Nazim by decision at plus 200. The over one and a half, by the way, is lined at minus 250. Elder by decision is plus 350. I'm not sure if we're going to play it. Kind of want to consider it because it's going to go decision. And then at that point, it comes down to, you know, top control, who makes a mistake here and there. Maybe a judge thinks he saw something he didn't, you know, so on and so on. And though we're expecting a bloody mess, These guys are durable. Like I've said again and again, these guys have never been finished before. I think there was one finish for actually Nazim. Nazim was finished in his uh, MMA pro debut a long time ago. These guys are super durable. Expect them to go back and forth. They could both take a punch. We can see the fight looking very similar. I was mentioning this earlier. This fight might look similar to Evan's last fight. When Evan fought his UFC debut against Parsons, it was a bloody mess. Back and forth. It was kind of close. Even though he was losing the fight, it was still closely contested. Nazim's fight on Dana White Contender series, it looked a lot like that last fight. Now it's MMA math for you. It's not a perfect science, but could we see a similar fight where it is close? There's some wrestling, but you see Nazim get the better of the wrestling. You see Nazim do more of the damage. You see Nazeem cut Evan first. Maybe Nazim gets cut too, but you know, he just is the one that kind of comes out on top of the, you know, the uh, the back and forth. All right. A few more notes on these two fighters. Nazim is a southpaw again, out of Long going Weidman, excellent gym. We consider him a balanced fighter. 28 years old. What does he do? Well, active fighter, really good gym, fast starter, ground control, finish rate. Earned a nice win on Dana White's Contender Series, and good competition fighting in LFA and Shamrock FC prior to the UFC. What are concerns for him? His first UFC win. Okay, um, you know that he had. This will be his first UFC fight. Excuse me. So making his you know pro debut. That's always a bit of pressure. Even though it's a good circumstance, it's also in the Apex Arena where he fought Contender Series, it's still his debut. Grappling. Now, I I gave him good marks on grappling because he's got good top control, slices up opponents. He also got reversed on Contender Series, and he got reversed from a position where he should not have gotten reversed from. Then after getting reversed, he has to sort of fight off a choke. Nothing too dangerous, but it just didn't look that good in a round where he was dominating. Then in round two of Contender Series, he gets taken down early in round two. I didn't love that, so I feel like grappling-wise, wrestling-wise, has some room to improve. In his defense, though, his opponent on Contender Series was a very good fighter and was known for his grappling, spinning stuff. He does too much spinning stuff. Okay, so in my opinion, I think at times Nazim just gets caught doing spinning back fists, spinning wheel kicks. Maybe once or twice every now and, and once once around, maybe a few times a fight. But uh, when you start seeing it two, three times in one round, it's like you know. And then experience level, even though we do like Nazim here, he doesn't have a lot of experience, and so we're still getting to know him as a fighter and what he's capable of. And he's a bit brash, he's a bit confident. He will put his chin out there, he'll trade back and forth, as we saw in his contender series fight, and that could be just enough for Evan to maybe find a window of opportunity. As for Evan out of Kilcliff MMA, 25 years old, switch stance, that's cool. His fighting style, for lack of better words, he's a brawler. <laughs> he just comes in to fight with you in a bar, parking lot, in the cage, whatever. Amateur experience went six and one. Pretty active fighter. He fought three times 2021, fought once last year, comes from a good gym, powerful striker, finish rate, five of his seven wins are by finish. Our concerns, fighter IQ, ducking the head during exchanges, takedown defense, and poor stand-up defense in general, just getting hit too much. All right, that was a lot there. So that's our evaluation of Evan Elder versus Nazim Sadiochov. What do you guys think? Do you think that we're underestimating Evan Elder in this spot? Do you think that we're overestimating what Nazim could do? From what we saw in film, it just looks to me like Nazim is the more rounded fighter, and so he should win this fight. Price line wise maybe it's a little bit chalky for a first-time UFC fighter, yeah, but we do like Nazeem here. We're comfortable with him winning the fight. The question will become, can he actually get a finish here and, and, and actually put an end to Evan Elder, or does Elder come in here with even better cardio, extend this fight, and keep it super close when we go to decision? Either way, we're on Nazeem to win the fight by decision. That's our pick. Let's move on. We've got the last fight in the prelim card. Well, at least we have that on the current schedule. This is always subject to change. You know, the UFC likes to shuffle things around on us last minute. We've got Jim Miller versus Alexander Hernandez, two American fighters. will give you the pick here we have before we jump into this breakdown. We like Jim Miller to win in round three. That prop is plus 2,000. That's any kind of finish for, for Mr. Miller in round three, submission or TKO. We're going to play that prop, plus 2,000. I'll try to convince you of how we got there and why it makes some sense to at least consider a, a sprinkle on that guy. What, like 10 bucks to make $200? Can't go wrong, right? All right, so this is a 155-pound fight, lightweight bout. Mr. Miller, who goes by A10, of course, is a big-time veteran. People know him. Kind of a big deal around here. 35 and 16 overall, three into two his last five fights. He is the dog, though, and that was surprising. Couldn't even believe it when it came out. I like Hernandez, but man, for Hernandez is volatile. <laughs> so you got Miller sitting around plus one hundred and sixty. Where's he at right now? He was sitting at one hundred and sixty plus, plus one hundred and ninety now. Oh, even better. Keep it going, cause I'm on Miller. So keep the money coming in on Hernandez. So for Miller, he's out of Whippany, New Jersey. Thirty-nine years old, five foot eight in height with a seventy-one inch reach. Trained out of Sussex County MMA, also out of Faro's Muay Thai. For Alexander. The Great Ape Hernandez, funny nickname, 13-6 and overall, a little less experience, right? Two and three in his last five fights. He's the favorite, though, sitting around minus 225 currently. Again, very surprising and shocking, actually. He's out of San Antonio, Texas, 30 years old, 5'9", with a 72-inch rate. He trades out of Factory X Muay Thai. So height reach-wise, one-inch advantage in both areas for Alexander Hernandez. Shouldn't play a big part. Age-wise, though, 39 years old for Jim Miller. 30 years old for Hernandez, clearly the youth advantage there on the side of Hernandez. All right, looking at these two fighters in more detail. So Miller by round three, how we get there. Miller has an incredible resume. Number one, he has the most fights in UFC history, 40. He has the most wins in UFC history, 24. (laughs) He got the second most submission wins in UFC history with 11 and second most finishes in general with 16. So my man is a, is a player. He's been around for a minute, very durable, Has looked good in his last few fights. He comes into this fight on a three-fight winning streak here and finishes in all three of those fights. My man has been rolling. So, matter of fact, he has seven wins. His last seven wins, I'm sorry, have all been finishes. Five by submission and two by TKOs. I mean, is there anyone who's been hotter than old-ass Jim Miller? He has an effective inside lower leg kick, keeps his opponents a little bit off balance. After 51 career fights, he's only been finished four times. The last time he was finished was five years ago, and that was by submission. He's a southpaw, which will always be a little bit of adjustment for fighters he's going against. For Hernandez, though, I do believe he switches stances, so it won't be that big of a deal for Hernandez. At some point, though, Father times going to catch up to him. Now, I don't think it's going to be this fight, but he's about to be 40 in a lightweight division. I mean, he's definitely aging out, and we haven't seen him decline just yet but we could see it happen you know, at any point. And I don't think, again, it's going to be this fight, but it's something we have to just consider. It's it's coming soon, right? Now, as for Hernandez, he comes into this fight on a bit of a cold streak. He's 3-6 and six in his last nine fights, and he's been finished in his last two fights. Hernandez might need a win to stay in the UFC with this fight, meaning like this is kind of like, if he loses this fight, maybe he doesn't get cut, but he's going to definitely be on the hot seat. His fights typically do not go the distance. His fighting style is a Kill or be killed fighting style. Put it that way. Either he gets to finish himself or he basically just wears himself out trying to do it. He supports a 61% finish rate and averages 1.63 takedowns per fight. When his cardio is intact, he pushes a good pace. He's active, high volume, wrestling, grappling, the whole nine. Unfortunately, he has a tendency of wearing himself out though in the process. Like He doesn't know how to pace himself. In his last fight against Billy Quarantillo, that was a good example where he starts off strong. He, he wins Round one, he, he's winning part of round two and then starts to slow down and then, you know, cardio and durability. Next thing you know, he's getting finished. If he doesn't finish Miller in the first half of the fight, we're thinking he's going to have a hard time in the second half of the fight. He's going to start to slow down. Miller's crafty. One thing about Miller is his is not a problem. He seems to be just fine with his cardio. He makes adjustments throughout the fight. He's going to be reading everything Hernandez does for that first round, paying attention to things, inside lower leg kicks, and while Hernandez sometimes tries to you know come in his opponent, be aggressive, and starts losing energy, you'll see Miller dissecting, downloading, looking at everything. That last fight against Quarantino, again, Hernandez, you see the best and the worst of him. He's doing well, he's winning the fight, and then overdoes it. Has he made adjustments since then? Is he learning from these mistakes? I don't know. We're going with Jim Miller for two reasons. One, Miller has significant experience, the more experience, obviously, than Hernandez. And number two, we have concerns about Hernandez's durability, durability and cardio. Miller is looking to win his fourth in a row, whereas Hernandez is in danger of losing his third in a row. It's a classic case of two fighters going in different directions. Now, I don't think Hernandez is like end of the world here, but he is about to lose another fight in a row here. But third or fourth in a row, it's, it's an important opportunity for him to get back on track. And Jim Miller is just a crafty veteran. It's not a great spot for him. The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the over one and a half rounds at minus 150, The fight not going the distance at minus 250. Miller into the distance at plus 350. Love that spot because if Miller wins this fight, I believe it's most likely into the distance and not because he's got this amazing finish rate. He does have what last seven wins have been by finish. But Hernandez is shown to just wear himself out. And I think Miller could take advantage of that. So plus 350 Miller's at the distance. Love that spot. Miller by round three finish of any kind, plus 2,000. Definitely playing that. Hernandez decision win. Plus 275, and Hernandez by KO is plus 105. But again, I'm not sure we'll play those props. Just mentioning them with Miller, he hasn't been finished in years. Last time he was finished was by submission. A few more notes on these two fighters. Miller, he's a grappler by trade, averages 2.79 strikes per minute, absorbs 2.93, so has a negative striking ratio. Not known for so much for his striking, but he's gotten better at striking. His last few fights, you've seen him knocking people out in the feet and just getting better in that area towards the end of his career. For takedowns, averages 1.62 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is per three-round fight, with a 47% takedown defense. That's interesting because you're going to imagine at some point Alexander will try to get some takedowns. That's not a great takedown defense, so the fight may the, hit the ground. Jimmy's Miller's going to have to get back up, work from his back. We'll see what he does there. 52 total fights. <laughs> yeah, a lot of experience. And Miller's a southpaw. Miller has a ton of experience. We mentioned his accolades before. He's a black belt in BJJ. On a winning streak, Very durable. Good finish rate, southpaw, nice inside leg kick. The concerns we have for him, age, slowing down a little bit. Um, his striking, he's got a negative striking ratio, so you know, got to keep an eye on that. For Hernandez, much younger, good gym factor, ex-Muay Thai. He's got a mixed fighting style, kind of like kickboxer slash wrestler. Nice to you know, switch stances back and forth, but he too has a negative striking ratio, landing 4.09 per minute, absorbing 4.54. Average fight time, about 8 minutes and 17 seconds. 61% takedown defense, better than uh, Miller. Averaging 1.63 takedowns per fight with 22 total fights under his belt. Good finish rate. 8 of his 13 wins have been my finishes. Switch dances. Good wrestler. The loss to Billy Q. Half glass, half full. He did some good things there. He was winning part of that fight. Just needs to temper his pace and you know, kind of you know, make better decisions. Right? Fighter IQ. That's that's what that is. The concerns we have for him, he's on a bad streak. Three and six in his, three and six in his last nine fights, way below 500 in the last nine fights. Durability concerns, he's been finished in five of his last seven defeats. Needs to pace himself. He's also a bit of a bleeder. He does bleed pretty quickly. In the negative striking ratio. For all those reasons, <laughs> we're going to go with the veteran, Mr. Miller. This to me is, a, it's a good test. It's a good fight. I, I'm glad they're putting on the, on this fight in the card. Maybe most fans are like, oh, not too up about this fight. I am. This is either going to be Miller, old-ass Miller, continuing his winning streak, looking good, continues to pad the record and, and pad the stats and distance himself from anyone else who could ever hit these numbers. I mean, he's going to be at, what, 41 total fights now in the UFC. It's it's incredible. For Hernandez, like, he does need to win here. I, I expect Hernandez to come out and be thirsty. and In doing so, he's going to be at risk of maybe wearing himself out and putting himself in a bad spot. So, you like the veteran here, by a third-round finish, we see Hernandez slowing down. Being to a point where in round three you're going to see the veteran have him right in the crosshairs right where he wants him and find a finish in round number three that's plus two thousand don't forget to put that prop all right guys next fight okay next up we have a light heavyweight bout two and five pounds between william knight american fighter who's 11 and four overall versus Marcin prochnow the 15 and 6 overall polish fighter Give you the pick real quickly just to get it out of the way. We like William Knight to win by round two knockout. That's our prediction. Now, as for the basics on these two fighters, Knight, like we said, is 11 and 4 overall, 2 and 3 in his last five fights. A dog here. Well, I wouldn't say he's a dog. He's pretty much pickup money now. Minus 105. You've got Proch like minus 115. It did open around plus 105 or plus 110 for William Knight. Looks like it's now come to about even numbers. William is from... Hartford, Connecticut, 34 years old and 10 months, so about to be 35 while wow, he's starting to get up there. 5'10 in height with a 73-inch reach. He's out of Thornton Martial Arts Academy. So height and reach-wise, the reach is not much of a factor, only one inch in favor of Marcin, but the height will be approximately 5 inches in favor of Marcin. We'll see how that plays out. As for now the Polish fighter, he's 15-6 and six overall, 2-3 in his last five fights. Out of Amsterdam, Netherlands currently, he's also 34, so about the same age. A lot of similarities with these two guys. And for Marceny, he trades out of a gym called Tatsujin Dojo Deventer. I probably butchered that. My apologies. As for the topology votes, Knight is the favorite, getting 69% of the votes, 31% coming in for Prognia. Well, we like Knight, too, as we just said a moment ago. Let's read through our notes here in this fight. So one thing I do want to point out before we even get into this, like, full breakdown. From a betting perspective, we usually don't say completely off limits, don't bet on it. This might be one of the fights, though, guys. We'll have to put something, and of course, we'll include William Knight into our lottery parlay for our full you know, card parlay. But ultimately, you don't want to be too invested with fights like this. However, however it works out, it's going to be something that it's hard to predict and ultimately might be luck. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I think you know, consider not betting on this fight at all. Maybe just fast forward to this part of the video and just say forget it altogether. But for those who want to stay here and you're a glutton for punishment, maybe you want to bet in this fight, we got more from you. Okay. We could see a quick finish. You could also see this thing get drawn out and end up being a slow paced fight going to the full scorecards. From our seeing, he's, he's trying to get his career back on track. He's two and four in his last six fights. He is a very active fighter. He fought eight times between mixed martial arts fights and grappling bouts over the last two years. His biggest win of his career was over Roundtree two years ago, 2021. And against Roundtree, even though it was his best win of his career, It was not without some stress. He got clipped a few times. He definitely was in, you know, he was in some wobbly leg category. uh, But he showed a lot of toughness, kept fighting, was able to outwork Roundtree. Ultimately, he got the win because of his output, his pace, pressure, I guess. Sloppy, man. He gets very sloppy at times. And that's part of the downside with him. He turns into a very reckless fighter. He starts to just duck his head, swinging. That happens pretty quickly. And he may get his bell rung a little bit. Kind of fights through it, uh, doesn't try to recover and ball up you know, or look to clinch. He just tries to fight through it and box through it. So it's a little bit scary. He leaves the left side of his face very open because his lead hand is kind of always out here, just sort of kind of like navigating him or trying to reach for something. So his front left side of his face is open. I've seen him just get hooked right there with some hard punches. And um, Marcin's knockout loss to Sam Alvey, by the way. If you go back in this topology far enough, You'll see Marcin got knocked out round one by Sam Alvey. Traditionally for us, when we're seeing you're getting knocked out by Sam Alvey, especially, that was like one of the last or second to last wins of Sam Alvey's mixed martial arts career, at least in the UFC, it's not a good look. We, we tend to fade those fighters because you shouldn't be losing to him. Marcin averages 5.84 strikes per minute. and absorbs 4.15, so pretty good output and not the, not the worst striking ratio. But that's how he wins fights. You know, he gets in your face, a lot of output, blah, 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 blah. As for Mr. Knight, he's also trying to get his career back on track. He's two and three in his last five fights. He got knocked out by Devin Clark last year. It feels like just yesterday, but it was almost almost a year ago. I think it was last March. And Devin Clark finishes him in round three, I believe, with some kind of a short elbow. Good performance by Clark. Not the best performance for Knight. And he uh, he missed weight coming into that fight. They had to move it to heavyweight. Yeah, like a good situation. Night sports a good finish rate nine of his wins have been by finish out of his 11 total career wins He's an effective wrestler. He averages about two takedowns per fight And I think early on in fights especially when he's got his cardio intact. He is an effective wrestler He tends to tail off and doesn't do much as as he fatigues. Well, who does right? One of his most dangerous weapons are his kicks body kick leg kick. He kicks with a lot of power He's got thick strong legs himself And so when he gets some kicks going early Obviously, to make some of his opponents uncomfortable. He should use some of that in this fight. At least he should. Not sure if he's going to get away from that technique or whatnot. He lands just under three strikes per minute and absorbs 2.99. So from a striking ratio standpoint, not very high output, as we mentioned before. He gets a little bit fatigued, and he's also absorbing just as much as he's you know, giving out. So low-volume striker, that's a, a big concern for us, especially if the fight goes into round two or goes into round three. He becomes more or less KO or bust, right? He was severely overweight in his last fight. We mentioned this before. He's had some weight cut issues in the past. I believe it, even in his personal life, he had some ups and downs in his life where weight was a factor. So it was a severe weight miss. They move it up to heavyweight. He still fights with Devin Clark. Devin Clark's kind enough to say, fine, we'll go heavyweight. And he loses, gets knocked out. Has he gotten things under control? At 5'10", he clearly should not be fighting heavyweight you know, weight class. And he looked, pretty big in that heavyweight fight, not big in a good way. So he's 5'10", needs to get things under control. He's mid thirties now. Metabolism is starting to slow down. Uh, I'm a little concerned if he misses weight again, for example. All right. So this fight to me is riddled with blind spots. There's just a lot of areas. We just don't feel very comfortable with, you know, we can go over some pros and cons and we can go over the things they, they do well um, and the things they don't do well, but ultimately what I'm left with is I'm very uneasy. You know, I'm left feeling like, you know, do I want to get invested with this fight? So, a few more things. Let me just go over a few more notes. For Knight, good grappling, finishing ability, like we said, 9 of 11 wins by finish. Wrestling's fairly solid. Kicks are good. And he's active. He fought five bouts between grappling and mixed martial arts in 2022 alone, and then fought three times in 2021. So, very active fighter for William Knight. The concerns are his last MA fight got knocked out. That was just last year. The weight issues, takedown defense, not great, especially when he gets tired. Negative striking ratio. As for Marcin Prochniau, <clears throat> good output, 5.84 strikes per minute, absorbs 4.18. Zero takedowns so far in the UFC, so he's not really a, a much of a wrestling threat. What's to like about him? Size, you have a 5 inch height advantage, 1 inch reach advantage, good leg case himself. His win over Roundtree, pretty good competition. He fought Alive along with Roundtree, well, not at the same time, but you get the point. <laughs> and has a good finish rate. Seven of his wins have been finishes. Five of his seven, five of his last seven wins, excuse me, have been by TKO finishes. So he likes to TKO people. That's his path to victory. That's Marcin Prachnio. Now our concerns for Marcin, Marcin bad streak, right? Two and four in his last six fights. Durability is a concern. He's been finishing three of his last six fights got knocked out in round one by Sam alby 2018 and he's reckless we talked about it I mean if you watch him on film hands get low hands really dip even lower when he winds up for stuff heads all out there uh, you know he's, he's he's a defensive nightmare I don't know if that's a habit or you know too much confidence in his chin but yet defensively he is a liability so final few thoughts in this fight like I said a lot of blind spots I can see it going too long where both guys are tired and just reckless. He's somebody eating a punch. We're going to take William Knight. I feel like he can stay slightly tighter and technical a little longer than Marcin, who Marcin just, you touch him one time and it's like, all right, we're full on panic now. Now we're going to be, you know, in a bar, a bar brawl, you know. Okay, betting spots, the spots we're going to consider for this fight, if we do have to bet this fight, which we do not, and we should not. The fight not going the distance and the under two and a half. That's it. We're going to put William Knight into our lottery parlay. He'll most likely be one of the first pieces of the lottery parlay that we'll pull out to do our modified lottery parlay. But uh, there's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Comments, suggestions, please leave them below. If you haven't done so already, hit the like and subscribe button here on YouTube. If you're listening on our podcast please go ahead and rate our podcast. Give us a five stars out of five stars. We would appreciate it. All right, let's move on to our next video. Here we go. (music) Moving up the card, next fight's going to be a heavyweight clash at 265 pounds between Josh Parisian, the American fighter, and Jamal Pogues, another American fighter. I'll give you the pick real quickly so you can move forward in the video if you need, you know, due to time constraints we like Jamal Pogues to win by decision. Uh, That's the prediction. And yes, you heard that correctly. Two heavyweights going to decision. We'll try to explain that to you when we go through this breakdown. But Jamal Pogues, who's minus 225 on the current line, a bigger favorite than he probably should be. No love there for uh, Mr. Parisian, right? All right, as for the particulars in these two guys, Josh is 15-5 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He's a dog here. Out of Brighton, Michigan, 33 years old, 6'4 in height with a 79 inch reach. He trains out of Scorpion Fighting Systems. As for Mr. Jamal Pogues, who goes by the Stormtrooper, 9 3 overall, 4 1 in his last five fights. He's the prohibitive favorite in the matchup. Out of California, 27 years old, 6'3 in height with a 77 inch reach, and he trains out of Joe Stevens, Cobra Kai. So slight reach advantage there by about 2 inches for Josh Parisian, and also about a 1 inch height advantage, not sure it's going to play, you know, a big factor in this fight. All right, some background on these two guys. Um, Josh Parisian earned his way into the UFC via the contender series a few years ago. He fought in LFA prior to that, so he's fought some, you know, decent promotions, good competition, right? He is not the most fleet of foot. If you're looking for a very agile heavyweight who's very athletic, that's not really Parisian. He's more of a plodding, heavy-footed, you know, Type of guy, we like the way he uses kicks at the end of combinations. So not all the time, but you know some combinations he'll use a nice little body kick. He has a surprisingly high finish rate. When I say surprisingly, he's a heavyweight, so that shouldn't surprise you. It just in my mind, I guess I didn't think of him as a very high finish rate type of guy. So of his 13 total finishes, 11 of them. Uh, I'm sorry, of his 13 total wins, 11 of them um, have been by. I'm sorry, of his 15 total wins, 13 have been by finish. One advantage that he has in this matchup is that he does have the fighter experience advantage, you know, meaning he's fought a handful of fights in the UFC compared to his opponent Jamal Pogues, who's making his UFC debut. Uh, now the concerns that we have for, for Parisian include his poor takedown defense, negative striking ratio, and concerns about recent defeats against a few opponents in particular. He lost to Parker Porter and Dontel Mays. Now Porter rough outing there at UFC 284, um, you know, Dontel Mays. Lost to both those guys. Takedown defense was, yeah, yeah. That that that's an area that just needs to to improve. You know what I mean? Um, matter of fact, let me make sure. Yeah, I'm just double checking my notes here. That that's just the big issue with him. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about his recent fight. I want to go look at his topology for a second. But he got taken down repeatedly, and you know that was the problem against Dontel Mays. Yeah, Dontel Mays took him down repeatedly. It was a, a huge issue. So we're going to bring that back up in a second because there's a, a point that I want to drive home. Okay. Now as for Jamal Pogues, he's also making his UFC debut in this fight. He won a contender series just last year, got his contract, a very nice, quick jab. That's not just quick. It also lands heavy. And you see that in his prior fight, contender series, did a really good job working with his jab. Now, though he has limited pro experience, he went eight and one as an amateur. Nine total amateur fights. He averages 3.5 takedowns per fight based upon the one fight, based upon that one contender series fight. That's a lot. That's a lot for heavyweight. If he can get two takedowns in this fight, that could be enough to win two rounds. Heavyweight, Parisian does a terrible job of getting up. He gets tired. So two key takedowns could win the fight by decision. The areas of concern we have for Pogues are his inability to earn I'm sorry, his inability yet to earn a quality win. So what I mean by that is he's fought a few guys, like he fought Alex Polizzi, he fought Taylor Johnson, he fought Jordan Young. Rest in peace, Jordan Young. Those guys are names at least you might recognize. He got knocked out by all three of them, though. (laughs) So, you know, it's on one hand he has fought some competition. On the flip side, you know, he got uh, finished by that competition. Those are his three losses on his professional resume. Low finish rate and negative striking ratio. So, yeah, both these guys have negative striking ratios. That's not good. <laughs> and for Jamal Pokes, a low finish rate in general. Looking at his recent fights here, I think he's been a decision in, what, one, two? His last three wins, he hasn't had a finish since 2019. It's been about four years, right? So just a few more highlight notes here on these two guys. For Josh Parisian, he's 33, he trains out of Scorpion. Lance just under five strikes, but absorbs 5.11. That's quite a bit. Average fight time, nine and a half minutes. 42% takedown defense. That's going to be a problem here against Jamal Pokes, who's averaging 3.5 takedowns per fight. And for Josh, averaging 1.06 takedowns per fight. Not bad. For heavyweight, again, that's not bad. Can he get it done here? You know, we'll see. Now, Parisian, again, more fighter experience. 31 total combat bout fights, amateur, whatever exhibition the whole nine for Parisian like the kicks and combination we mentioned before fighter experience good finish rate our concerns for him are grappling and wrestling related fighter IQ we've seen him try to trip an opponent in the process of doing that he lands with the guy on top of him and loses an entire round negative striking ratio of course and the bad losses to Porter and Mays as for Jamal Pogues 27 so he is the junior by about five years trains at John Stevens Cobra Kai Multiple fighters on this card are out of that gym, so some teammates are on this card with him. Lands just about four strikes per minute, just under four strikes per minute, but absorbs 4.10. So again, negative striking ratio. <clears throat> 100% takedown defense. Small sample size, just one fight. Average fight time 15 minutes. Again, just one fight. Both guys are right-handed fighters. Left hand lead, right hands behind. They're both Americans. In the case of Jamal Pokes, 21 total combat sport fights. We we like these things about him. Nice jab. Earned his contract through Contender Series. He's not like a late replacement or someone who's being called up to promotions to make his debut. He earned it through Contender Series. Good amount of cage time. Wrestling is pretty solid, especially for heavyweight. Our concerns, competition level, getting finished by Jordan Young, Alex Polizzi, Taylor Johnson, finish rate, and negative striking ratio. So putting all that together, that's the reasons why we're on Jamal Pogues to win by decision. You know, we have some question marks here even about cardio. They start to slow down. You know, then their finishing ability also goes down. Um, could we see some people laying on each other? Yeah. You know, Dontel Mays took down Parisian, grinded him out for several rounds, and then eventually got a crucifix and was just laying elbows, and you know, Parisian had no answers. Could Jamal Pogues do that? I mean, okay, maybe. Um, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I'd rather see some action here. You know, I'd rather not see heavyweight fights go the full distance, but I feel like there's a possibility of it, right? The betting spots we like the most of this fight are going to be Pogues to win into the distance, and the fight doesn't go the distance. And You're probably saying, well, that's against your prediction. Yeah, I, I understand that. Our prediction is one thing, <laughs> and I do think Jamal Pogues most likely wins by a decision. When that prop comes out, maybe I'll sprinkle that prop as well. But I feel like at some point, also, we, we're going to see the the natural heavyweight come out on one of these two guys. They're going to start some kind of momentum. They'll keep it going. Maybe Parisian falls up and Jamal Pokes just keeps landing strikes. We get a TKO that way. In any case, we're on Pokes to win the fight by decision. Let's move on. All right, moving up the car, we've got a light heavyweight bout, 205 pounds between Zach and. Palga, who goes by the Ripper, versus Jordan Wright, who goes by the Beverly Hills Ninja. Give you our pick real quickly, just to get out of the way, for those who have to move along. We'd like Zach Palga to win the fight into the distance. That's our prediction. Not sure if it's going to be a knockout, or maybe even a club and sub. Jordan Wright is a very fragile um, very fragile-y. The dude is either he's, he's KO or bust. That's kind of the way he is. We'll talk more about that. But anyway, the pick is going to be Zach Palga to win the fight. Inside the distance most likely end of round one into round number two all right back to their basics again is a light heavyweight bout that's going to be an important factor here 205 pounds neither fighter fought at light heavyweight in their last fight one guy's coming up one guy's going down for jordan wright he's 12 and 4 overall Four one his last five fights out of los angeles california 31 years old he trains out of jackson Lincoln, and may six foot two in height with a 77 inch reach. Looking at Paga, he's six foot two in height as well, so same height with a 76-inch reach, so almost the same exact reach. Paga is 4-1 in one his last five fights, 5-1 and overall as a professional. Out of Colorado, where he trains at an elevation fight team, 34 years old, 11 months, so about to be 35. And looking at tapology, it looks like Mr. Paga is the favorite, getting 84% of the votes, only 16% coming in for Jordan Wright. A little bit surprising. Jordan has more experience, been in the UFC longer. But, uh, yeah, we do agree we like Paga to win as well. Looking at our summary <clears throat> of this fight. So we like Palga into the distance in 16 professional fights for right. He's never been the full distance. Okay, so he either wins or he gets finished. That's sort of his M.O. Now, Palga, if you don't remember him, he lost in the ultimate fighter last year, season 30. He fought Kamaru Usman's brother, Muhammad Usman, in the finale. And he ends up getting knocked out by, it was a short little left. Like it was, it was a hard to describe the punch. It didn't look very hard. Um, And so that was a bit of a concern, (laughs) but he went down flat in his back from this left-hand punch now in Zach's defense Okay, so in mr. Palkas' defense that was a heavyweight fight Okay, so Muhammad Usman is a heavyweight He went on the tough ultimate uh, ultimate fighter show as a heavyweight and not in the light heavyweight division because He feared he wouldn't be able to make the light heavyweight weight cut multiple times in a short period of time So like you know back-to-back weeks or two two times in a month type of thing for him I guess he has to cut a bit of weight to get down to 205 All right, show's over. Now he's going back to fighting at 205, which is really where he belongs. That punch is a bit of an indicator because that punch did not look very hard for Muhammad, and yet it just decked him, put him out, right? So moving back down to this weight class is is better for him. Zach is a very athletic big man, good on his feet, nice active jab. He tends to pepper you with the jab. Not very hard, but sets things up with that. He lands 5.71 strikes per minute and only absorbs 2.14. So there's that jab, like high volume, doesn't get hit very much. He went 5 and 0 between Cage Warriors and LFA. I thought that was interesting because those are good promotions, high level. He went 5 and 0. That was before he went into the Ultimate Fighter. Ultimate Fighter, he fought his first two bouts, he won. Those were exhibition bouts. The last bout was the finals bout where he lost to Muhammad, and that was his only loss so far as a professional. He has zero takedowns so far in the UFC but does have 100% takedown defense. There's a lot to like about this guy, you know. At 35 years old, the only one thing is it's it's now or never. Like he needs to get started. As for Jordan Wright, He's been competing in combat sports since he was like 12, 13 years old, started doing like actual like Muay Thai competition at the age of 16. What got him into mixed martial arts was that he watched Dragon Ball Z, the cartoon, and that's kind of like his motivation. He was actually doing gymnastics when he was like really young, like three, four years old, saw the cartoons and like went to do some karate, got into the karate thing, and then, you know, here we are now. He moved to New Mexico right before his freshman year of college to train at Jackson Wink MMA, where he actually lived and trained at the gym before starting at the University of New Mexico. Uh, So kind of like his big first move in his life, right? 17, 18, leaving California, moving over to New Mexico. He's an explosive fighter, 100% finish rate. All 12 wins are by finish. That's the good news, right? There's times when he looks really good. There's times when he looks like the Beverly Hills Ninja. He looks good, right? And then there's times where he gets tired, and he looks so fatigued and so sloppy. and You're just wondering, when is the wheel going to fall off? Because he just, he, he goes through these motions of, he looks good, gets tired, and then just looks ratchet. Matter of fact, his last fight against Todorovic is an indication of what he can look like sometimes. He was winning that fight. And I actually think I chose Jordan to win that fight. I'm not sure if I really bet on it, but he had a, back control on on Todorovic he was doing some good things round one was going his way but by the time round one was over Jordan was starting to get tired and then once round two comes around it's like you can't tell if he's tired or if he's hurt like he's taking punches he's like wobbling he looks fatigued and eventually he just gets melted in round number two you know it's like a different fighter when he gets tired we're all different athletes when we get tired right that's sort of his MO though it's like go hard early I get it finished things go well if it doesn't go that well he starts to fall apart now right is in the midst of the worst stretch of his career, mind you. Okay, so he's lost four of his last five fights and three in a row. The seat's getting hot, put it that way, right? It's getting under the hot seat. If he loses another fight badly here, could he get let go? I'm not sure what the roster's like here for the light heavyweight division. Maybe that's why he's moving up. Maybe they told him, listen, if if you don't move up, we're going to cut you. It sounds like it could be that, right? Like we're gonna let you go, dude. You're not you're not cutting a welterweight. And if you don't move up and take a fight like this, then we're gonna let you go and he feels that pressure. Now he's moving up. So um now considering all the years, this is a little bit thing that popped out to me. All the years of combat sports experience, right? He's been doing Muay Thai since he was like fifteen or sixteen. He's been an athlete since he was like single digits, right? I'm disappointed that he struggles so much with cardio and then poor decision making. You know, he's he's a bit of a veteran now at this point in sports in general. And yet, the cardio is not good. Decision making, eh? So, Wright's move to light heavyweight right now, this also raises some concerns for me. Welterweight's obviously lighter than light heavyweight. Light heavyweight's obviously the one right below the heavyweights. So, the moving up in weight is—is is that a recipe for disaster or what? He's having problems with durability at welterweight. Now he's going to move up and fight a guy who was just fighting at heavyweight. Who also has durability issues too? Yeah, it just seems to me like we're we're heading to a collision course here and that's that's going to be Zach connecting on something and, then, and putting Jordan out, right? We have our doubts about both fighters. There's no question about that. But we just have more doubts about Jordan Wright, unfortunately. So we're going to go with Zach to win by TKO, most likely end of round one into round number two. The betting spots we'd like for this fight, there's not a lot. We might put a trigger on Zach by KO, a prop like maybe round one, round two prop. But the two props that I think we're going to stick with playing for sure, gonna be the under two and a half rounds and the fight not going to the distance, as long as it's not too chalky, we don't have lines yet on that. A few more thoughts on these two fighters, just some additional notes. For Zach landing 5.71 strikes per minute, observing 2.14, nice positive ratio, average fight time, just over five minutes, so just over one round. He's a right-handed fighter. He's a boxer in terms of his fighting style, not much of a ground game. No takedowns yet in the UFC, 13 total fights, straight to the very good gym elevation fight team. We gave him a 1.50 GPA, his areas where he's deficient are grappling, finishing ability, and experience. Excuse me. <coughs> we gave him a C for fighter IQ. <coughs> Excuse me. Cardio and striking, and again his overall GPA. We gave him a one point five zero. He um he's fought for good promotions, right? That's what you do like about this guy. The weight change probably better for him, but man, that punch he went down from um, Usman was. Concerning he also can be a little passive sometimes and one big criticism. I have of Zach is the finish rate He hasn't earned a finish since 2021 Four of his five pro wins have been by decision Lucky for him. He's fighting a guy who never goes to decision As for Jordan Wright 31 years old Now trading out of Dynamics gym. I guess not trading at Jackson Wink anymore. I'm not sure fighting style karate average fight time two minutes 58 seconds <laughs> Takedowns per fight, 3.60 with 100% takedown defense. Total fights in his career for Jordan Wright, 16. We gave him a 1.83 GPA experience-wise. We gave him a C. Cardio, a D. Striking, a C. Fighter IQ, a D. Finishing ability, We gave him a B. High grade there because all 12 wins are by finish, right? And then for grappling, we gave him a C for a total cumulative GPA of 1.83. We've talked about Jordan He's athletic, has finishing ability, but this move and weight, not such a great idea, I don't think. Cardio's an issue, durability's an issue. You're just looking at the fight probably not going over one and a half, over two and a half as your best spots with the best value. If this fight were to somehow get anywhere past two and a half, it would just be really shocking. I don't know, it would have to be a huge change. And what we've seen from these guys in the past now for Zach, I think he could go the full distance It wouldn't be a problem for him and just more so with Jordan Wright So we'll see what plays out here in this fight. Um, one more thing about Jordan Wright He lands 5.67 strikes per minute and absorbs 7.54. I'm looking at that number right now so yeah, a negative striking ratio there for Jordan Wright and uh, He's hundred percent take that defense though. So that's good. Well anyway with that said guys, we are on Zach Palga to win the fight not a ton of confidence as I've said to you guys several times whatever we do invest with this fight will be light uh, I wouldn't parlay the side and I and I definitely wouldn't like parlay Zach Palga at minus 295 I, It probably works out because I have a lot of doubts about Jordan But isn't that a little bit rich for a guy who's making his UFC debut coming off of a loss? He looked a little bit like a questionable Jordan Wright's got finishes, he's been in the UFC for a minute, not not doing great recently, but he's been around for a little while, so this price tag is a little off, and I, I I can see this being a problem, you're trying to parlay this next thing you know, it just blows up in your face, so we're going to go with Zach Powell to win the fight, it's the distance, most likely end of round one into round two, that's your breakdown. Alright, we're up to the main event for UFC Vegas 69, or UFC Fight Night, Andrade versus Blanchfield. And of course, Andrade was not scheduled to fight here initially. It was going to be Aaron Blanchfield versus Talia Santos, and then Santos backed out. Andrade had about a full week's notice for this event. We'll talk more about that. Let me give you the pick to get out of the way for those who want to move forward uh, in this video. We are on Aaron Blanchfield to win the fight, into the distance, most likely by submission. And I think this happens anywhere. From round one to round four, I think we'll get to the later part of the fight. There's going to be some endurance issues that maybe Adraj has to deal with coming in here as a late replacement. But for Blanchfield, when you look at her past fights and you look at just the way she fights in general, her submission ability, if it's there, she's going to get it. Um, so it can, happen, it can happen early. I mean, heck, we just had UFC 284. and You saw the submission by Koulibau, right? Koulibau was kind of, in essence, losing that fight and just sneaks in, gets back. Next thing you know, he gets a win. So, When it comes to Blanchfield, that submission can come any time. I think it's going to come a little bit later in the fight. All right, let's go over the overview of these two fighters. I have a lot to talk about. So if you're looking for a quick breakdown, again, just keep moving fast forward. I'm going to be talking for a while about this. But what's the goal? The goal is to give you accurate information, a ton of information for you to consider on your own. If you're a casual gambler or just a fan, uh, or maybe you just want to know more about the card that's coming up, you don't know who these fighters are. Uh, In this case, you probably know who Jessica is, but this will give you that that background on them, some bio information, personal information, whatever else, obviously stats, all that stuff we're going to go through. So this will be a bit of an exhaustive review, but the goal is to give you a pick. That you can feel comfortable with, and we can move forward um, and either decide to bet on it or decide to pass on it. All right, so let's talk here about Aaron Blanchfield versus Jessica Andrade. Right now, the current line sitting here is minus 150 for Andrade, plus 115 for Blanchfield. These lines just came out. This is being recorded at least a full week and a few days before the actual fight. These lines will probably move. I predict that Aaron Blanchfield will move and become the favorite, and we like her to win the fight. I think when more people watch some film of her. They dissect all the different parts of what we've looked at. I think Blanchfield becomes the favorite. Okay, so the two most important factors for this fight for us are Jessica Andrade coming in on a one-week notice for a five-round fight, right? Not a three-round fight, a five-round fight. She's also coming in on this, what, one month off from her last fight. Yeah, whatever, we'll talk about that. The other second factor is Blanchfield being so young. She's 23 years old. And for a young lady, she has accomplished a lot, very... Let's just put it this way: uh, has aspirations, has goals, sets goals, meets those goals. She's in college, you know. She's a very active person, and uh, and so I don't want I don't want to say she's twenty three and like immature and not about you know a serious lifestyle. I'm just saying she is young, and so coming up against a person like Jessica Andrade, who's won a title before, these are the two biggest factors for us: the late notice for Andrade, and then Mister or Miss, I'm sorry, Blanchfield being so young. All right, let's talk here about Andrade first: a complete legend in women's, women's mixed martial arts. When you look up some of the things about her background, her accolades, some of her credentials, it it kind of, you, you forget. You know, we just often forget sometimes how great some of these fighters are. In terms of UFC, women's accolades, credentials, she has the second most fights in women's UFC history. She's tied for the most finishes in women's UFC history. And she once held the UFC belt, strawweight belt back in the day. Andrade comes to this fight on a week's notice to replace Talia Santos. Andrade fought less than a month ago in Brazil, where she dominated Lauren Murphy. Nice win. Uh, probably could have been called a finish at some points because she was really tagging up Lauren Murphy. But goes the full distance. She's home in Brazil. Three-round fight. Looked very good. Dominant performance. Got the win. Now, this quick turnaround, does that positively or negatively affect Andrade? And I could, I come up with reasons for both. Here's the reasons why it doesn't negatively affect her. She just fought about a month ago and sustained very little to no damage. If anything, the damage she sustained was not noticeable. So she went three full rounds. It was a good exercise. She looked good. And from that standpoint, if she's building upon that, or maybe already kind of had an idea that she may be a replacement fighter for something coming up soon, it could go to stand that she's just kind of in shape, right? You know, she can go with that that argument, that that train of thinking. The other of thinking is, well, maybe she wasn't sure she'll be late replacement. She took a week or two off after that fight, you know, decompressed. It was a big fight, Brazil. And now getting this call to come into this fight is going to be like, all right, cutting weight quickly, uh, might not have the time to get on the bike and do enough cardio five-round fight, not three-round fight, and it could affect her a little bit from a a cardio perspective or endurance perspective. I'm not sure. I, I think it's something that's just a variable that we really can't answer. Now, for Andraj, she's faced some of the best in the business. People like Shevchenko, people like Welly Zhang, um, Nama Yunus twice. She beat Namunis and then Nama Yunus beat her. Liz Carmouche, Larissa Pacheco, uh, this Joanna Jeshezik. I always say her name incorrectly. I apologize. And, yes, I threw Larissa Pacheco in there because Larissa Pacheco won the 2022 PFL title last year. Million dollar prize, so these are the fighters that are on her resume. She's faced some of the best of the best and had a very you know long career. It's easy to fall in love with Andrade's resume and her finishing ability. You know if you've watched some of her fights the last you know few years, the Lemos fight, and even with Lauren Murphy, she didn't finish her, but she just about finished her. Um, you know she's done some good things. You can easily fall in love with those things, right? But here's my one detail that I came across that's just so obvious, and I think you're gonna agree with this. Aaron is is not Lauren Murphy, and not Amanda Lemos, and, and nowhere near them. Meaning, she doesn't fight the way they fight. She does different things. She does not very well. And so like that last fight with Lauren Murphy, you might as well just scrap that from your brain. Forget about what Andrade did in that fight. She's not gonna get that fight here. She's not also fighting an older fighter in Lauren Murphy who, you know, maybe her most athletic days are behind her. Is that a nice way of saying it? So that Lauren Murphy fight, just don't let it affect you too much. Then you go back to the Lemos fight, and you're like, oh, well, she choked her out, standing standing with but arm, triangle, choke. The first and only one ever (laughs) in UFC history, men or women. Um, So it's easy to see those things and say, okay, you know. But all that said, as good as Andrade looked in those last two fights, I just think those two fighters are way different than Aaron. Aaron brings a lot more tools to the table, you know. Lemos has no ground game. We knew that. And obviously, even on the feet, Lemos has no stand-up you know, submission defense either, right? And Murphy's past her prime. So Andraj knows how to defeat B list type of fighters. And I, and I came across this in her resume, whatever, and I'm not criticizing Andrade. She's a very good fighter. She was once a champion, so on and so on, but here's the reality. When she fights good fights, I mean, good fighters, excuse me, tougher opponents, the Shevchenkos, the Wally Zangs, even Raquel Pennington beat her. Nama Yunus got the defeat in the rematch. Jennifer Myers' beat her, Liz Carmouche's beat her. When she's fought in some of the better girls in her topology background, she's lost those fights. Now, she had a few key ones. Obviously, she beat Rose their first fight. But what I'm saying to you is I think that she's that tier right below where those top girls are at. And is Erin Blanchfield Shevchenko right now? Absolutely. She's 23. No, no, she's not. <clears throat> I'm just saying I want to put things in perspective as to where we sort of visualize Andrade. And I even think it's going to be hard for Andrage to win the title again. I think she'll be there, top contender. She'll compete again for it, but I just I don't see it happening. The power striking is the most dangerous tool, in my opinion, that Jessica brings to the table. She hits with a lot of power, has a shorter reach, shorter arms, winds up and delivers a load. And she loads up for those punches. If she hits you, it's going to hurt. It's Women's Mixed Martial Arts, 125 pounders, but she has put down some ladies before. And with Blanchfield, we haven't really seen her tested. We haven't seen her cut or bleeding and dealing with any you know, facial damage or hit hard like that. So that could be an X factor, right? But will cardio become an issue for Andrade? She's coming off of this fight less than a month ago. Late replacement, and it's a five-rounder. Just something to think about. As for Blanchfield, she looks like the real deal. Most people are like looking at her like she's the future of, of this possible division. She's very young, 23. Has, you know, seven-fight winning streak, hasn't lost in like four years. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about her. Her ground attack is impressive. She's been competing in combat sports, by the way, since she was nine years old. (laughs) This girl's been doing either like jujitsu or karate or some form of kickboxing since she was literally before she was 10. Uh, So it's been in her loins for a long time. Only 23, yes, but really been involved with it for a long time. Her submission skills, absolutely world-class. And she trains at Renzo Gracie in New York City. There's a bunch of Gracies or Renzo Gracie type of gyms. And some are more known than others. Uh, this one in New York City is specifically known has a very good BJJ program. And she's a black belt BJJ. And you see that when she fights. We mentioned before she's on a winning streak. She only had one loss actually back in the day. You have to go back four years. And that was to Tracy Cortez by split decision in Invicta. So they were both fighting in Invicta. Good promotion. She actually went. I think she went 4-1 in Invicta. Uh, Aaron Blanchfield she did very well there and again the only fight was a split decision loss to Cortez who's now in the UFC so questions here will Andrade's experience advantage be enough to defend Blanchfield's ground attack I think at times it could be Andrage has got high fighter IQ experience off the charts right she maybe defends a few of them early on when she's fresh I think it get harder and harder to defend and I think Blanchfield gets more and more creative about finding ways to bring the fight to the ground now check this out it wasn't enough when Rendraj got when Andraj fought Shevchenko. When she fought Shevchenko, even though she loses by like a crucifix, it wasn't a submission, ultimately Andraj couldn't grapple with Shevchenko. And is Shevchenko equal to Aaron Blanchfield? I don't think so. I'm not trying to make that comparison. But specifically grappling and wrestling, how far behind is Blanchfield behind someone like Shevchenko? I think she's definitely better than Andrade on the ground. And so I can see this being a, a big problem for Andrade is if she eventually cannot stop all the takedowns, fight gets to the ground. Now we're completely in Blanchfield's world. You know, so again, I'm comparing her to Shevchenko in the grappling area and just saying that's a bit of a, a kryptonite, you know, for uh, for Jessica. Looking at some of the recent fights for Blanchfield, she's coming off of a win against Molly McCann. Now Molly McCann, 2022 had a huge year, 2021, Big time, right? She was everywhere. Her and her buddy, Patty Pimblett. you know, they fought over there, crossed the pond, a lot of exciting stuff. Well, she fought Molly Can- Molly McCann in her last fight, Blanchard, that is, and Molly McCann, who's a v- known for her toughness, right? Known for her toughness. just kind of a brute, right? Well, Aaron Blanchard cut through her like a hot knife through butter. Got an easy Kimura submission. I mean, had this poor girl, Molly, like, thinking about, is my arm going to break? And Blanchfield, after she submitted her, she stood up, it was like this. Like didn't even have a sweat and walked it off like you don't even know. Now Molly McCann, I've have I have issues with her fighting style, and I thought she was a little bit overrated there for a minute, and you know, UFC kind of pumped her up, but toughness I do believe is one of her things. She's displayed that. She's gotten clipped and come back, and you know, she doesn't back down. She just got ran through by Blanchfield. Okay. Now, we see Blanchfield winning this fight because the grappling exchanges. At some point, the fight gets to that ground. That's going to start draining Andrade's gas tank. I think submission opportunities is going to be there. I think the short notice is not perfect here for a five-round fight. If it was a three-round fight, I would keep bringing it up, but it's five-round. Some, some of the betting spots that we're looking at here for this fight, the fight doesn't go the distance. Five rounds again. Blanchfield by submission and Andrage by knockout. Why Andrade by knockout? Well, because we think that's their most likely path to victory That's what she brings to the table, you know, she's uh, she's very heavy-handed and she shouldn't be overlooked I, I don't want this breakdown to sound like oh We're just looking over this Andrade fighter and saying oh, all the record she has and former champion not respecting it We do we do Some details in these two fighters for Andrade trains out of Piranha Valtudo, which is a very good gym down in Brazil Average fight time, about 10 minutes. So going about two rounds. Consider she's been in in a handful of five-round fights. So that still means she's getting finishes, right? Two rounds is approximately her fight time. Her fighting style, how would I define it? She walks you down, and she wants to punch your lights out. Heavy-handed, you know, has a bit of a Mike Tyson dip at times. Heavy-footed. Good athlete on the ground. Eh, short limbs. So if you can imagine that. Her strikes per minute, landing 6.80, absorbing 5.26. You like that it's a positive ratio, and that's a pretty good level of output. Could be a little better there with the defense, though, at 5.26 absorbed per minute. Takedown defense. So here we go. 73% for Jessica. Not bad. Not bad. She averages 2.72 takedowns of her own per 15 minutes. That will be interesting. I would be willing to argue that i don't think jessica tries to take down here because again with Blanchefield, i think that's just the, that that's where you need to stay away from and if jessica even gets her down and is in the guard of blanchfield i think it's going to be dangerous you know the ladies are a lot more flexible so when they have you in their guard their ability to get their legs up and over your shoulders and you know try to chase basically submissions that are not as easy for guys because of their flexibility uh, and Blanchefield's nasty nasty the ground so I would imagine for Jessica she's probably not looking to do that but she does average just under three takedowns per fight per three round fight Again, guess is five rounder her total fights Jessica has fought 35 total mixed martial arts fights she's a black belt and BJJ they're both black belts and BJJ and again for Jessica that's like a good black belt BJJ from South America Brazil probably valuable probably legit right in the case of Aaron Blanchfield that's from rental Gracie gym in New York City also very legit and she's you know put that in display many times We gave Jessica an overall grade of a 3.00 GPA. We've talked about this GPA system that we use over here. It involves experience where we gave her an A for experience. It's an ABCDF system. So A for experience, a B for cardio, a C for striking, a B for fighter IQ, a B for finishing ability and a B for grappling. The cardio part is one thing that I'm a little, again, it's just sort of hard to measure five round fight, late notice, you know, whatever. Um, background: in Jessica Andrade grew up in Brazil. Played soccer competitively; that was her thing. Um, then eventually moved over to martial arts. Former UFC strawweight champion in the UFC, uh, BJJ black belt, tied for the most wins in UFC history. We talked about that before. With I think no tie for the most finishes in women's UFC history with I think five. Um, first standing arm triangle ever. We mentioned that before. She's had performance of the night or night or performance of the night or fight of the night nine total times in the UFC. And again, the second most fights in UFC. Women's history with 22. This will be 23 now, I guess, for her. Her last few opponents, she fought Lauren Murphy. Last fight, got a decision win. Really whooped up on Lauren Murphy. Just couldn't get a finish. The judge, I mean the judge, the referee just wanted to see blood, I guess. proof uh, for that, Amanda Lemos, impressive uh, arm triangle, standing arm triangle win. And, you know, just Amanda Lemos wasn't ready for it. Prior to that, got a win over Cynthia Calvillo. Now it's 2021 by a round one TKO. TKO. Uh, she was a favorite there. And then prior to that, she had a loss to Shevchenko. And then before that, had a win over Kaitlyn Kagan, And that's really indicative of her career. She beats fighters like Kaitlyn Kagan, Amanda Lemos, Cynthia Calvillo, uh, Laura Murphy, but then just has a little harder time when she's facing, you know, some of the. I shouldn't say some of the. Obviously, Shevchenko's really legit, but yeah, she has a harder time with those kind of fighters. And what's there like about Andrade? Championship experience, finishing ability, punching power. Our concerns for her. We mentioned before she's fought the top tier but she's right below that you know so she's wavering that second tier area durability she has been finished in five of her nine defeats so she has been finished before um in this case that probably would happen by a submission if it was, was going to happen right striking defense she does absorb a little bit too much for our liking you know she's up there around five point something what absorb per minute could get better that department and then quick turnaround you know coming back a month later, took no damage the last fight, but it's a fast turnaround for Aaron Blanchfield, 23 years old, training out of Renzo Gracie, in New York City, Orthodox fighter. They're both Orthodox fighter, right hand, right hand stance fighters. For Aaron Blanchfield, average fight time 10 minutes and 19 seconds. She lands 5.79 strike per minute, absorbs 2.45. So you like the output. It's not as much as uh, Andrade, a little less around the six minute, around the six permanent mark but you like the fact that she's absorbing so much less right so uh, a better striking ratio a positive striking ratio um on the side of Aaron Blanchfield for takedowns Aaron Blanchfield averaging four takedowns per 15 minutes so a little more active averaging like about a takedown and a half more uh per fight um over Andrage again i feel like with Andrage i don't imagine she's going to try to engage on the ground so if there's going to be takedowns i think it's going to be coming from Aaron Blanchfield's side Take down defense. Blanchfield also has 75% take down defense. The same exact uh, percentage there for Andrade, and for Blanchfield, she's fought 12 total fights. I think that was one amateur fight that wasn't listed uh, as part of her pro fights. That's why it's all included in there, all her fights combined. And she's a black belt BJJ. We mentioned that before. Her report card, we gave her a 2.67 GPA, with the low grades being experience, right? Um, And then striking, her striking. It's gotten better, but it's an area she still has to evolve in. So, those are the two lower parts of her grade. We gave her an A for grappling. You know, even though she's super young and hasn't, you know, competed for a title yet, it is, it's just so elite. It's kind of like that guy, Bo Nichols, right? You just know when you know, when you see it. Uh, with Aaron Blanchfield, her, her submission ability, her grappling, it's just on point, and she could have a career. A good long career if she can keep developing her striking and then obviously depend upon her submission ability when she needs it her last few opponents Molly McCann won that fight round one submission just last year she was a minus 400 favorite before that she fought JJ Aldridge won that fight round two submission, with so back-to-back submissions and then she fought Miranda Maverick got a decision win and that was 2021 I, I can't recall how that fight went I do know Miranda Maverick's a pretty good fighter um, but I can't remember how that fight went offhand so I'm not going to try to BS you um, background here on Aaron Blanchfield grew up in New Jersey, started jiu-jitsu when she was seven years old, began competitive fighting when she was nine for kickboxing and grappling. At age 12, she was already telling people, I want to be a pro fighter. Now she's 23, so a good 11 years now she's been working on this pro fighter thing. Uh, former cage-free champion, she went 4-1 in Invicta. with her only lost to Tracy Cortez by split decision. We mentioned that before. She had a 1-0 amateur record before going pro 2018. She's currently enrolled in Montclair State University where she's studying digital media with a concentration on sports, and yes, she intends on becoming a commentator. I think she's even done some guest commentating at a few different smaller promotions. That's what she wants to do when she's done with her fighting days. What's to like here about Senora Blanchfield? Okay, winning percentage. Well, you got to like that, right? She's only got one loss, right? She's a winner, and winning is habits, habit-forming at least. Her winning streak in general seven fights she hasn't lost a fight since 2019 about four years the last fight over molly mccann just smooth looked really good dominant and made molly look like she didn't even belong in the ufc and molly for you know you can criticize her but she definitely belongs in ufc but uh, she didn't look like that at that moment uh, very balanced skill set for aaron blanchfield you know she's effective on the ground she's developing more on the feet she's getting better with every single fight um i see her at her full evolution one day you know five six seven years from now she approaches her prime that She's gonna just be a very balanced fighter where she'll be strong in both you know the ground and the feet kind of like someone like Shevchenko, you know uh, Strength of schedule she hasn't fought the competition that Andrade has had has fought of course we, we acknowledge that but man, she's fought some pretty good fighters. We, we rattled some of them off So she's fought some people that are ready where you can sort of measure where she's at and you've seen this She could hold her own. She clearly belongs here And at age 23, that says a lot. You know, you're in a division where it's a division that's in flux. There's new fighters coming in, and she seems to be, the you know, a fighter who could be here for the future. Finishing ability, right? So five of her 10 wins have been via finish, three of them by submission and two by TKO. That's not bad. 50% rate for finishing ability and, again, for a smaller weight class. It speaks, again, to Aaron Blanchfield's legitimacy. And then, of course, her grappling. She has a BJJ black belt from a very good gym. She puts it on display. She's got those skills. Our only concerns for Blanchfield, number one, we mentioned before, her age. She is young, still prone to maybe make mistakes, still developing, making improvements, so on and so on. Adjustment to Andrage. Consider this factor. She was training for Talia Santos. She spent a whole camp training for Santos. Now she finds out a week before that she's actually fighting someone now who... Arguably is harder opponent. That's what I would say. I think she may be even tougher than Santos And of course with Andrade brings all the experience the former you know, champion, you know So now for Aaron Blanchfield, she's got six seven days five days Whatever now to make this adjustment look at some film, you know, sort of you know rec- I mean, re- re- uh, Recalibrate everything and that's gonna be an adjustment for her and then also the fact that Andrade is a big step up in competition in general. I, I do think she's better than Santos. I think most people are actually excited that Andrade is fighting on this card because you know, she's a name. People know her. For Blanchfield, man, if she loses, it's no big deal. She's only 23. She'll just be losing against a former champion, whatever, maybe get a chance to fight again. She'll get it back the next time around. So there's nothing to lose for Blanchfield. Blanchfield wins, I mean, sorry, Blanch, Blanchfield wins this fight by submission, the way we see it happening, it's going to be like the calling of the new guard, and she'll be putting a full stamp on her arrival in this division, so that's what we see happening. The line's going to move around a little bit. We'll get our full bet tip sheet for you guys out by what 48 hours, 72 hours before the actual fights hit off. But again, just to summarize, we do like the slight underdog here, at least the initial slight underdog, Aaron Blanchfield, the 23-year-old, 10-1 to move to 11-1 with a submission win over the former champion Jessica Andrade. And that's your main event for UFC Vegas 69. Well, this brings us to the end of the episode, guys. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to give you a quick summary of our picks for UFC Fight Night Andrade versus Blanchfield. And for those who know our quick picks Segment, that's what we're doing right now. So here we go. Here's your quick picks for UFC Fight Night Andrade Versus Blanchfield Carpenter by submission Garimbo by submission Sadjakov by TKO Lenz by TKO Emmers by decision Silva by submission Miller by TKO Knight by TKO Pogues by decision Palga by TKO and Aaron Blanchfield the main event by submission Those are your quick picks for UFC Fight Night Andrade Versus Blanchfield Alright, so for those that are still hanging around here for the end of this summary, those are our picks to win. That's their method of victory. But to get the full tip sheet, remember, you need to subscribe to our newsletter. It's totally free. The tip sheet comes out around Thursday at the latest, Thursday evening. It's with all of our bets, parlays, props, specials, individual bets, some crazy parlays just to have some fun with a few bucks. It's all there and it's all tracked. So for example, if you go to our newsletter, you could see our tip sheet from last week, the week before. Three weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago, we don't edit our tip sheet. All we do is add our results to the tip sheet. So, for example, we look at the tip sheet for UFC Vegas 69 on Thursday or Friday this week, you'll see all of our bets. Saturday evening, Sunday morning, it'll be updated, and the results for all those bets will be put up there. So you can see exactly what we're doing. We don't remove bets. We don't change anything. You're welcome to download it and save it yourself. But everything's tracked up there, so you know exactly how we're doing. We're not fake winning. You know, we're not telling you, oh, we did good, you know. You see exactly what we have beforehand. Anyway, to get the tip sheets for this event and all of our events, subscribe to our newsletter. It's totally free. You get it right to your inbox. It's run by Substack. Just takes your email, takes a minute. The link is down below. Otherwise, we did the best we could to give you some of our betting spots for the card throughout this breakdown. Because we give you a spot doesn't mean we're gonna play it. So for example, we might say like we like a spot we're going to play it, though. At the end of the day, we have to still crunch the numbers to the very end. When the last lines come out, all the split decision props come out, all that stuff comes out around Wednesday Thursdays, Thursday is when we can do the final crunching of our numbers. And then about Thursday, you'll see the tip sheet come out arriving to you via your email, via Substack Newsletter. So subscribe to that right now. If you don't do anything else this week, subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for joining us. We wish you guys the best of luck with UFC Fight Night Andrage versus Blanchfield. Let us know how you're doing. If you end up being in the card and taking our advice and it wins, come back to the channel, leave some comments. All right, guys, the best to you. Good luck. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you're here in this video.